Hello and welcome to the Racing with Rob and Roller podcast. Wherever you may be, whatever device and service you may be listening from, I'm Josh Roller. And joining me as always is Rob Peters. This is the post-Daytona show. Uh, the Xfinity Series had a wild finish in its Friday night, Saturday afternoon show. But the organization who won should have surprised no one. You know, definitely should have surprised no one. Um, rain severely impacted Formula One's Belgian Grand Prix. Uh, but the bright side is that George Russell, in his qualifying heroics, um, grabbed him in the first podium. Uh, and then uh, plenty uh, on that race as the show goes on. Uh, but the big t- talking point from this weekend is that the NASCAR Cup Series wrapped up its 26 race regular season at Daytona. Uh, Rob and I will talk that uh, a little bit maybe with the regular season. We'll see how the show progresses there uh, and uh, make our playoff predictions as well. So stick around to see that. We made the trucks a couple weeks ago. Now we'll make uh, our cup ones. All this and more. Um, so I, I say let's let's start to uh, dial back the music and get the show on the road. But first, uh, Rob has a few words to say uh, about a motorsports icon we, we lost this past week, uh, Robin Miller. Uh, so Rob, I know you have a few words you want to say. Go ahead. Yeah, I I, I really do. Um, you know, we got news of Robin Miller's passing on on Wednesday, and I I just wanted to say that, you know, it's it's incredibly difficult. This was, you know, when Bob Jenkins passed away, I was I was really really upset, you know, emotionally I think, and then I was worried the whole time. I was like, man, I don't want Robin Miller to to go either, you know. I was worried the whole time. I was like, man, I don't want to wake up to that notification, man. I don't want to see that notification. I don't want to see that tweet. I don't want to see the announcement. And then I saw it and I kind of had to deal with it. And I didn't say a lot about it. Um, I could have promoted it, the the podcast, but I didn't feel right. Because um, we we dropped a podcast last week on Wednesday when and, and that was right around. And that was basically when, when RM passed and I just didn't feel right saying anything about it. So I waited until Thursday, but I wanted to sell my, say my thoughts on Twitter after the fact. And, you know, I, I want to, I want to share some stories right now, two real quick stories about Robin Miller. Um, and I hope that, you know, my stories can at some, I don't think they're going to do him justice, but I hope that, you know, people listen to them and hear my stories about the kind of person he was um, you know, my first, the first time and only time I've ever met like face to face with Robin Miller. Um, I had, so it was in 2012 and I was, my dad had sweet tickets, like a uh, turn two sweet tickets at IMS for, um, I want to say poll day. I think it was, it was either poll day or bump day. I can't remember right off the top of my head, but I know it was a qualifications day. Um, and you know, as part of having those sweet tickets, some one of the bartenders or one of whatever um, pulled out a bunch of um, garage passes, like single day garage passes, and gave them to us and took us down to to the garage areas to go walk around and and, and see people. And you know, I had a lot of fun. You know, I had to. I think I was sixteen at the time, and I had to be eighteen to hold the pass. So let's not tell Doug Bowles that that happened, but you know, I, I may have lied to a yellow shirt and still not proud of that, but you oh, had man. to do what you got to do. Uh, it's a bartender's fault. She gave me the wrong pass. I don't know what to, I don't know what to tell you. Um, and, but anyway, so I'm, we're walking around in the, in the, in gasoline alley and I come across, you know, a bunch of people, a bunch of different drivers, but then one of the person I, I see is Robin Miller. Who's, who's going around with NBC 
and getting interviews for for qualification. It had to be, it had been one of those days, bump day, poll day, because I know that NBC used to broadcast that live on NBCSN, and um, so I went up to him and I I I talked to him for a little bit. My dad was talking to him mostly, but then he introduced me, and the only things he ever really said was, you know, he said. It's nice to meet a kid who cares about indie racing. And I always remember that. Like, I never forgot about that. Um, I literally never forgot about that. And uh, it was pretty much after that point that I kind of made a decision to myself, like, you know, this is this is what I want to do. Um, I don't know why talking to Robin Miller that one time kind of made me come to that conclusion. But, you know, you're a junior in high school. I was like, or like a sophomore going on to a junior year in high school. and um you know, you start thinking about what you want to do with your life. And I, you know, I was like, you know, I, I just want to be like Robin Miller, I guess. You know, I, that's what I want to do. I want to write and I want to be on TV and I want to be a hot-headed guy with a lot of opinions about IndyCar racing because that's that's what I am now. Um, I got a lot of hot-headed opinions about other types of racing, but, you know, I got some feelings about IndyCar too. Um, but, you know, and then the, the other thing that really – that really touched me about Robin Miller was his, was his weekly mailbag. Yes. And if you haven't ever read his weekly mailbag, I, I feel bad, but you can always go back and read them. They're just, they just won't be as timely. But back when I was really, really getting into journalism and really starting to read a lot more racing stuff from racer, from speed, from whatever, uh, from motorsport.com, all those, all those sites, as many as I could get, I literally would get everything. You know, the one of the main ways where I kind of like got most of the IndyCar scoops was through Miller, Miller's mailbag. And I remember I used to write to him for the mailbag quite frequently. I used to write him um, and he answered my, my message once. He answered my, my email into Miller's mailbag once. And if I could ever find it, uh, I'll link it back. But I, I I never forgot that. Like he he took my message and and even when he didn't respond to it this was the thing that, about rm that i really appreciated is i don't know if he did this to everybody but i know he did this to me on a, on a couple of occasions was even when he didn't answer my question in the mailbag on in the story he still sent me an email back thanking me for the message and kind of trying to answer my question as best he could um and i always appreciated that because i don't think there's many people out there like i i i know i for one i I'm terrible with answering emails sometimes. I'm terrible with answering phone calls. You know, it's just how I am. Um, but I appreciated that for from Robin. Um, and, you know, every time, and now I'm kind of kicking myself, like not saying hi to him more often in the media center. But you know how I am. I'm very, I'm, I'm very shy. I'm very kind of kept to myself. Usually when I'm up there, I don't like to make much of a sound. I don't want to like, I don't want to feel like I'm bothering anybody. So I never really said anything. And I probably should have because I don't think I would have been bothering him. But you know, Robin Miller was somebody who was very important to me, a very large inspiration in my career. You know, I kind of feel like kind of weird because I'm almost following in his footsteps a little bit. You know, I, I started my job. My, my whole life has been answering phone calls at the Indy Star, and I'm still doing that. But now they let me write about racing. You know, I don't know if they're going to let me be a racing columnist at some point, which would be kind of cool. Um, I don't know if they'd let me do that with with Doyle working there or whatever, but you know, I'm sure he wants to have a monopoly on com uh, columns, whatever. But, um, you know, I, I just, I just appreciated that from Robin Miller. I appreciated who he was. I appreciated everything he wrote. I appreciated his passion for IndyCar. And I don't know if mine matched his, but, you know, I'm, I think we're all better off for having known Robin at some point in our lives. So, 
you know, I I know this has gone along and I need to get into the news and Josh wants to say something too, but you know, Robin Miller was very important to me. So hearing news of his loss was was very difficult and it's still kind of affecting me still to this day, but you know, there's stories that I'm not just now hearing about him for the first time that still make me smile. So, you know, I'm just, I'm sad, but, you know, I just know that he's, you know, he's up there with Bobby Unser now and, and, and probably doing the same thing that they were doing last year, two years ago up at the media center. So, you know, I, I'm sad that he passed away, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm better for having read his work and having met him the times that I did. So Josh, if you have anything you'd like to add, um, you can go ahead and, and add it now. Yeah. I, I only unfortunately had one interaction with him. Um, he, I reached out to him via his mailbag actually, cause um, I felt awkward. Uh, well, yeah, I did. I felt awkward asking someone else for his email. So I reached out to him on his mailbag and um it was for a project for for grad school. Um, you had to get some people within the industry to say uh, their opinions on a on a certain website. You know, the way it was set up, the way it was laid out, how they how they uh, conducted themselves. And and I reached out to Robin and um, to ask him because I felt like his opinion would be a little bit different compared to because uh, I reached out to Daniel McFadden, um, Dustin Long, and Jeff Gluck. They all they all gave me uh some good stuff on that one and uh we traded a couple emails back and forth um on what you know what he thought about how i won't name the website but what the website was and in his thoughts and his were very brief answers but he he took the time to to go back and forth and i went back and i tried to find the emails and i and i came to the conclusion that um unfortunately they were linked to my school email address which i no longer have access to and uh, that's kind of a bummer. Um, uh, I, I know I still have the work somewhere, so I have a couple of his quotes on there. But that he took the time to help me with something that was not related to his mailbag at all, and and I always appreciated that. And I think that just kind of speaks to the kind of person he was. I always wanted to reach out and help, you know, like you, like like for you, and you mentioned the even the ones that didn't make the mailbag, he, he tried to answer to his best of his ability. So yeah, Robin will be missed, and and. Um, I'm, I'm I'm waiting to see kind of what tributes would come out in Portland here for him, but also you know just just read what whatever people have have wrote, tweeted, and stories they've shared. There's not a bad one, so um, I will turn it over to you, Rob, um, for uh, your racing report. Uh, yeah, we'll, let's we'll miss Robin, but uh, um, Rob, I'm gonna go ahead and go ahead and yeah, let's report the news like Robin Miller would. Let's go yeah. ahead and report the news. Obviously, not. Robin Miller wouldn't report much at Formula One news, but that's what we're going to start with today, as we're going to start with Formula One. Um, with Istanbul and Turkey remaining on the UK government's COVID-19 red list, Mugello has emerged as a potential replacement for the already rescheduled Turkish Grand Prix. Uh, let me just say that I have absolutely no uh, quarrels with that. I loved Mugello last year, and I am, you know, I, I hate that you lose Turkey for it, but Getting Magello on the schedule again is kind of cool, and I'm definitely going to enjoy it as much as I can. Um, anyway, uh, next piece of news here. Monza has announced that its famed Parabolica Corner has been renamed in honor of Michele Alboreto ahead of next month's Formula One Italian Grand Prix. They're calling it uh, after Michele Alboreto, who passed away um, 
couple of years ago, I believe. Why can't they rename to straight? I know but that, that that corner is so yeah. iconic. That's what it, kind of it, oh, it's, it's very odd. It's a very odd choice of a corner. I, mean, I understand it's it's a good gesture towards Michaeli oh, Alvarado. Absolutely. But you know, it it it's kind of kind of odd that they would choose that corner. Yeah. And, but maybe, you know, in twenty years we'll we'll sit there and we'll think to ourselves, you know, oh, it, it, I don't remember ever not calling it this. Yeah, you know, oh, uh, that's that how time it, it usually yeah. goes. Um, anyway, next piece of news here. Uh, Sergio Perez is returning to Red Bull in 2022, a future that he knew was secure before the summer break, but uh, it was announced after the summer break. Mm-hmm. So uh, good, and that's a good sign for Red Bull. Red Bull yeah, yes, definitely absolutely. needed that kind of consistency in their in their lineup, um, mm-hmm. and definitely Perez has proven to be very good. Uh, for the team in the overall constructors championship this year, absolutely. Um, uh, Mercedes team principal Toto Wolf told media at Spa that he has made a decision between Valtteri Bottas and George Russell for 2022, but no announcement has been made yet. Now, this is interesting. If you checked Valtteri's Bottas's Instagram recently, I don't know if you saw this, but he posted a picture of himself with a piece of paper in front of him and a pen indicating that he might have something signed. You know, George Russell just got a podium this past week. Now, granted, we'll talk about that quote-unquote race later, but, you know, it kind of makes you wonder what is going to happen here. Who's yeah. who's going to Williams? Who's going to that Mercedes seat? Who's going to basically be the right-hand man for Hamilton to char- challenge Red Bull next year? And uh, I think we'll see in the coming weeks, I'm sure, but it is very interesting to see how things are lining up uh, and the kind of hints that we're that are getting dropped. So, But we still don't know. That's the thing. Hints are being dropped, but we have no real context around the hints, which is yeah. making things really tough for most people to judge. Uh, moving on here to some IndyCar news. Hey, this broke this morning on Monday. Racer reports that Roman Grosjean has signed with Andretti Autosport for 2022 and will take over the number 28 from the departing Ryan Hunter Ray. Hunter Ray's new destination is still TBA. Now, the Racer article also pointed to Andretti Indy Lights driver and Formula former Formula 3 racer Devlin DeFrancesco as a possible candidate for the number 29 to replace James Hinchcliffe. Now, that would be interesting. DeFrancesco had—and that's interesting to me. Given the fact that Dave Francesco, you know, he's an Andretti Harding Steinbrenner guy, or an Andretti Steinbrenner guy, uh, it drives for that team. But uh, Andretti's got Kyle Kirkwood also on their uh, roster, who's having a fairly decent Indy Light season. Um, and it's it's interesting that they would go with Dave Francesco. It's interesting that they would go with him and not Kirkwood. But um, could we see Steinbrenner Racing come back with Kirkwood in the series? I don't know. I don't know. It depends. What, it'd be interesting to see what they do. Yes. Uh, it de- it's definitely going to be interesting to see what, what happens. The IndyCar silly season dominoes are falling. Because like I said, Hunter Ray doesn't have a ride yet, but he seems pretty confident that he's going to be in the series next year. Like, he's, it doesn't seem like he's like Hinchcliffe, where he's kind of hush-hush about it. Like, he's like, ah, I don't really have anything lined up. He's talking more candid about it, like he has something lined up. And to be honest with you, I'd be surprised if Meyer Shank didn't go after him. Because then you can literally say you have five Indy 500s on your team yeah. <laughs> between your two drivers. And, and and that's not a bad combination, I don't think. And Hunter Ray would probably like to go sports car racing in his uh, next endeavor. So, you know, you could probably, Shank could probably hook him up with that too. Yeah. Um, you know, I I don't know. I, I, I like, like Hunter Ray do some Xfinity racing next year too. 
Oh, really? Yeah, there's some road courses. Just just some road courses. See what's going on. I'll, maybe uh, maybe AJ can get uh, if he goes to Meyer Shank. You know, maybe AJ can be like, hey, let's get Meyer. Let's get him over. Here. Oh no! He wants to run NASCAR. Couple... Like, is that yeah. been? No, I just think it. Was, I think everyone heard the, for the first time there during that uh, that that cup race that he had tested for Hendrick Motorsports. I'm like, when did that happen? Do you remember that on the broadcast? I didn't remember that. No. Yeah, yeah, he tested for like what he did. Wow. Yeah, I'm like I had no idea that happened. Okay. Yeah. Well, all right then. Um, next piece of news here. Hey, Jimmy Johnson completed his first IndyCar Oval rookie test at Texas Motor Speedway on Monday. So Jimmy Johnson is inching. So, so here's the thing. So we've got Grosjean now in the mix for Andretti. So that would, we're presuming that that would more likely than not be a full-time deal. So Grosjean's going to run ovals next year. And now you're talking about Jimmy Johnson potentially running ovals as well next year. You're talking, I just, I, I just want to go down the run here. So just looking at a blanket statement of the drivers that we've talked about, Elio Castroneves is going to be back. So yeah. you've got an, a four-time winner right there. You've got Roman Grosjean. You've got Jimmy Johnson in the Indianapolis 500. I don't know if anybody would attempt to double duty or something, given that lineup already going in. Um, Larson, would, Larson might might do it. They Yeah, they were talking about that at the BC39, that Larson – you know, that Roger Penske, somebody, Doug Bowles, people want Larson to oh, run yeah. the 500. I don't know how Hendrick would feel about him running the 500. But, you know, if Hendrick's going to let him run dirt races, I think he should let him run the 500, too. Now, Kyle yeah. Busch has said for many to- many times that he wants to have a deal in the works. Yeah, Maybe he could get something going. I, I Look, I... Why would you not want to put HendrickCars.com on the side of an Indy car in the Indianapolis 500? That's a very good point. That is a very, very, very good point. That is like ultimate exposure. You're getting exposure for your brand that probably don't watch NASCAR or any other race the entire year except for the Indy 500. They say 70% of fans at the Indianapolis 500 are only there for the Indianapolis yeah. 500 experience. Right. So. you Most of them are usually in the snake pit, drunk or high off their butts, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> You know, you know what I mean. Um, place to avoid if you don't like that. Yeah, it's definitely well. It's also a place to avoid because I don't know how they put on a concert during the race. That's the thing that I've always wondered: is how do you hear that? Like, unless you're drunk it's or high, you don't care. You see someone going like this, headbanging. Yeah, no. You know, you don't care. No, seriously. When I, the last time I went as a fan, which was 2014, yeah. was the last time. That's crazy. That's a long time ago. That's the last time I was been at the IMS as a fan um, for the 500, at least, was 2014. And every time I saw it, I was like, yes, there's a stage. There's a whole concert going on. There's people down there in the snake pit, which has now been moved to like turns three and four for because of obvious reasons. Um, and and it, there's a whole concert going on there. And I'm just like, how do you hear the concert? How do you hear the concert over the cars? I mean, I can't. I can't. I'm sitting in the stands. I can't hear the concert. I can only hear the cars. I don't. We've talked about this before. My answer is still, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how people do that. <laughs> All right, uh, moving on here, some supercars news. Triple Eight Red Bull Racing have announced 
that the that current Super 2 points leader Brock Feeney will replace Jamie Wincup next year after Wincup retires from full-time Supercars competition. Feeney will be paired with current Supercars championship leader Shane Van Gisbergen. Very interesting. Very. I've, we've been waiting for this announcement for so long. They've said it's been in the works. There have been people rumored about it for a long time, and I was looking, I was just kind of reading around and trying to get a feel of who most people kind of figured was going to go and, and replace Wincup uh, after he retired. And it definitely seemed like Brock Feeney was the, the number one candidate, but there was also some other candidates that people threw around. But this one seemed like the logical choice, and I'm very glad that they did that because Feeney's been very fun to watch in, in Super 2 this year. If I, I watched a couple of those races. I haven't watched all of them, but I've watched you know, a few of them. And uh, he's been very good in the ones that I've watched. So I'm I'm very much looking forward to seeing what he can do next year in Supercars. Keep in mind, Supercars still having um, an elongated break. Yes. Maybe they'll come back in October. We don't know yet. Bathurst is still, you know, they're trying to reschedule it. There's, you know, there's still travel restrictions going along um, all over the Australian border. So just a lot of issues and, and problems going on right now down under. Uh, you know, again, thoughts are down are, are with those guys, hoping that they can get some things uh, worked out a little bit better so that, you know, normal sport can resume like supercars. Uh, and it's just it's disappointing to see because, you know, it's been so long since we've seen a supercars race. I mean, it's it we're getting close to a month now when we haven't seen it. And, you know, we're going to have to go another month, maybe another two months without a supercars race. But, um, you know, so so. Wincup, you know, our, our times to see Jamie Wincup competing full time are, are dwindling. But, you know, we have we have time now to make up and 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 make plans to watch uh, the final couple of races for Jamie Wincup, which hopefully will be coming up here in October. Um, moving on here into some NASCAR news. Jack Wood is returning to GMS Racing in 2022 and will drive the number 24 Chevrolet in the Camping World Truck Series with primary backing from Chevrolet. Um, Carson Hosevar will once again drive full-time for Nice Motorsports in 2022. And um, here's something that I it seems like people are taking in very mixed reactions. I saw this, and immediately my heart sank. Um, the Chicago Bears are looking to move away from Soldier Field, and the mayor of Joliet has thrown uh, Joliet into the ring as a potential relocation by suggesting Chicagoland Speedway should be re repurposed into a football stadium. Now, I have problems with this because I already don't like what they're doing to Chicagoland. I don't like what they're doing to Auto Club either, for that matter. But I really don't like what they're doing to Chicagoland. The fact that they're pretty much letting this valuable land be destroyed and taken over by some warehouse, which is ridiculous when you have a perfectly good racetrack that can still host races. You just, you know, need to get someone in there like an IndyCar. Uh, but the I track is being destroyed by a warehouse. They sold a bunch of track property, and that's being turned into a warehouse. I don't think the track, physical track property has been sold yet. It was, right, outlying, but, it was outlying property. Just want to straighten that up for, for the, the point is, I'm sad that it's being sold or it's attempting to be sold or whatever. It seems like racing is done at Chicagoland. I would, I, I would, um, I would, yeah, assume that. And that's the worst part about it because, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm mad about this because Chicagoland genuinely put on some very, very great and memorable, entertaining races. It did. In, in, in everything that it hosted, IndyCar, NASCAR, even NHRA events. Everything that Chicagoland hosted had memorable events there, and it really frustrates me that nobody seems to see the value in the Speedway, not even redeveloping it, not even reconfiguring it, 
Nobody seems to see a value in a speedway here. And they're talking about trying to go downtown to the streets of Chicago. Dude, let me tell you something. I've driven downtown Chicago, and I don't ever want to do that again. So I just want to say that to every poor person that's going to be living in Chicago who's going to have to deal with even worse traffic because of a pointless street course that's going to be downtown when they have a perfectly good racetrack about 15 or 20 miles down the road, you know, it kind of bug, it kind of bugs me that they're doing that. It bums me out, makes me frustrated. They could repurpose the track into a road course, into a short track, into a mile oval. I don't care what they do to the track. I just don't want to see the racing leave Joliet in the Chicagoland area in favor of some pointless street course that may or may not even be a success or may or may not even be feasible for current cup cars. I know they're not feasible for current cup cars with the next-gen car. Maybe. I guess anything's possible. But anyway, I'm not going to rant too much about that right now. NASCAR has partnered with DoorDash to create a ghost kitchen called NASCAR Refuel that will deliver trackside foods to users across the country. But, you know, notably absent is the Martinsville hot dog, which honestly is the only thing I would ever consider ordering off of this. Because, first of all, I checked out some of the prices. You ever paid $10 for a kid's meal with two chicken tenders for small fries and a drink? What's the point of that? I'm getting this delivered to me. And and here's the thing. You have to get it delivered. You can't go to a store or a restaurant. I looked it up. The closest place by me is actually a Buca de Beppo. And most of them in Indianapolis are from Buca de Beppo. So I can't – but I cannot go into a Buca de Beppo and order – um, a, 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 what is it? A mac and, and and dog or something? A mac and cheese hot dog, which by the way I could make at home for no money at all, pretty easily. But I digress. Um, you know I can't go to a Buca de Peppo and and ask for one. Um, it's a ghost kitchen that you have to order off of DoorDash. So some poor Buca de Beppo worker is back there preparing food for his that he's made all his life or she they've made all their lives, and now all of a sudden they've got to start making crappy trackside food that very few people seem to have any desire for. Josh, are you, do you have any desire to try any of these foods? Because I, I really don't. Unless the Martinsville hot dog comes there, I don't think I'm going to be using this. I have no desire to try any of these few foods unless I'm out the track. Right? That, you that, what, that. If, if you're at the track and you have no option but to pay for overpriced track food, right. yeah, okay, I could see it. But if you're sitting at home and you have the option – to make something, go to a McDonald's for something far cheaper, well, or yeah. order this. Uh, first like off, like I don't, I, I don't use these services because if, if I can't get it, if I can't um, get it myself, I don't deserve to have it. That's my yeah. philosophy. Um, I know that that might be counterproductive to what they're trying to do here and uh, some of those places, but I'm not, um, I'm not calling people lazy, but I, I feel like I feel lazy if I call yeah. one of these places and I have them delivered to me. I could, I could ha- easily have some of these places I go to in, in, in order to take out deliver to me, but no, I, 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 I got to get it myself. That's my philosophy. But yeah, like $10 for a kid's meal. What am I eating that? Red lobster? Yeah. That's, that's, that, that, two chicken tenders, two, what, what, first off, what kid's meal gives you only two? It's always three. It's always three. It's always never two. three, man. It's always three. I don't know, man. It just it um interesting to see how this goes. It's very bizarre. And that's you you mentioned that. I, I the only thing I like ordering on my phone is when I'm ordering carry out or takeout because I think it's right. you know, sometimes it's easier, you know, because I don't like mayonnaise on any of my sandwiches. So it's much easier for me to put buttons on an app and go pick it up that right. says no mayonnaise than telling someone through a drive through 
and hoping that they heard me say no mayonnaise because sometimes I don't think they hear me. No, sometimes they just go, you wanted that one, and they just click it, and then you list all these other things they want, and they don't listen to you. Yeah. And they want $15 like I found I found nine times out of ten, maybe nine and a half times out of ten, when I'm ordering something through an app, it's it's always correct compared to when I'm ordering something at the, at the window. Right. I, I, right. I, I experienced the same thing. So anyway, um, next piece of news here. Tommy Joe Martins has partnered with Cesar Baccarella to form a new Xfinity team called Alpha Prime Racing that will, will begin operations next year. Martins, Baccarella, and Arca Menard Series East driver Raja Karuth will share driving duties behind the number 44 Chevrolet. So it's Tommy Joe Martins' team. Yep, and he basically partnered with Caesar Baccarella to take, you know, take assets from his team, condense them down into a one-car operation, and they're going to run three drivers throughout the Xfinity Series season. Well, Caesar Baccarella's been running for DGM Racing. I think he's probably bringing sponsorship. Okay, yeah, that's right. He and I know Tommy Joe Martins was wanting to to downsize because he was worried that or he he wanted to downsize his driving duties because he was worried he's going to shut down. Um, because he didn't have any sponsors, so he's wanting to bring drivers in to keep the doors open. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of talked like, I think I had my shot. My my bulk of my driving days are behind me. Let me be an owner type of thing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Cesar Baccarella is probably bringing some money with him, and he's going to run those races, and he'll help on this team. So that's, that's, that's my guess, because he's been driving for G- DGM racing. Mario Gossett. I knew that. I just had no idea who owned what. I didn't yeah. know if Baccarella was in a partnership stake with DGM or what. I and that I and that familiar I with Xfinity backmarker teams. That that and that I can't tell you for sure. I just know what team he's running for. I don't know if he, I don't know if he's got any stake in it or not. I I can't tell you. That's fine. Last piece of news here before we move on to our featured paint scheme. Uh, this was the worst kept secret in all of NASCAR. So we're gonna worst say it kept. last. Uh, Kurt Busch. And 2311 Racing revealed on social media that the two would pair up with a multi-year deal beginning in 2022. Uh, Sponsorship will come from Monster Energy, and Kurt will drive the number 45 Toyota. And in the video, the car shown, and the 45 moved forward by the front wheel. So the numbers are moving forward, as confirmed by NASCAR, Bob Pockers. I'm going to say this. It looks freaking ugly. I hate it. It's disgusting, and it turns me off, and I just... Xfinity series again continues to be the only good series in NASCAR because you know not only do the cars actually look appealing to the eye the racing is actually good and uh the drivers are pretty decent and sometimes you get cup guys down there so to be honest with you again Xfinity series still the master race now if they move the numbers forward in the Xfinity car next year then we're just doomed we're just absolutely doomed and we're just gonna have to suck I at least I'm going to listen to most races on the radio and just pretend cars look normal. Josh, I know you like the way that this well, kind of looks, but I'm absolutely very much against it. I think this looks ugly the way they did it. I don't think the design looks very good at all. I think they were very lazy in the design. And uh just to be honest with you, I hope this isn't the final design and I hope that, you know, it's not moved as forward. Now, actually I will say this. Denny Hamlin actually sent in a tweet not long after that. People were asking him, and Hamlin didn't believe that that was the final product, that he doesn't think the numbers are going to be moved forward that much. That's what I was going to say. In the video. That's what I was going to say, because if you look at, I follow a number of people on Instagram who just create their own paint schemes, you know, their right. ideas and templates. There was, I saw a 24 Exalta scheme for William Byron that looked really, really good. The number was moved up, not as far forward, because that number is darn near touching the wheel well. I hate it and, so much. And I think, it, I think if you move the number back, even like foot, the paint scheme goes from, you know, goes from a D to a B, because, I'm sorry, that's the bland uh, black mat. It's just 
you need to do something. That's different. the sad part is you right. can't even make a plain black car look good anymore with this stupid number. Yeah, so I would say move the number back in, uh, a foot, and it looks a whole lot better because there's seeing a lot of designs that with the number move forward look good. Now, if you move it back, I, I'm totally against that, but it looked really. I think there's a few on Instagram that looked really well, uh, well done. Again, if you give these graphic designers time, they can create some great paint schemes. So with that, talking about paint schemes, let's move on to the featured paint scheme this week. We're doing the 2018 NASCAR Camping World Truck Series. Um, Rob, I'm just going to go ahead and throw it to you. What, what do you got? Yeah, let's go ahead and start this off. My selection is going to be Derek Krause's number 19 Napa Toyota for Bill McAnally Racing. Now, this is easily, in my humble opinion, the best Napa scheme since Chase Elliott's number 25 from 2015. Um, the blue and yellow blue and yellow with no white in sight except for on the numbers that is a napa scheme you don't need all this pointless white on this thing like chase elliott's running out they just went to flat blue and and yellow the car would look a heck of a lot better than it does now but uh and i liked this paint scheme when it was around because i didn't like chase elliott's and i still don't but i liked this one it was a breath of fresh air i was like oh thankful thank goodness napa still knows how to make a good paint scheme and they sure did with this um, and it, it, this car finished eighth in its only start at the fall race in Phoenix. Um, and it was the first, I believe it was, uh, yes, it was. It was the first ever truck start for Bill McAnally racing as well. So this is kind of a historic theme, paint scheme. Uh, kind of, it, it was Derek Krause's first ever truck start as well as Bill McAnally's first ever truck start. And like I said, I had easily had the best Napa paint scheme with, you know, a, a yellow front you know, and and a and a blue on the on the blue uh, everywhere else. Uh, it it's just it just looks so appealing to the eye. It looks it it screams Napa to me. Chase Elliott's paint scheme does not scream Napa because it has too much white on it. It needs to be all blue and yellow. Now that or or all blue and highlights of yellow. You know that is acceptable too. Like he had in in 2016. I didn't hate that paint scheme. I, his 2017 was a little bit better, even though I thought the the yellow bumper was kind of cheesy. I still liked it a little bit more than I liked it a lot better than when he switched to the nine. When he switched to the nine, I'm sorry, his paint scheme stopped being good. Um, but anyway, uh, this is that's what I'm going to say about that. I'm not talking so much about how much I dislike Chase Elliott's current Napa scheme, though I am highlighting the fact that this is easily my favorite Napa scheme uh, of the last uh, four years. So, Josh, uh, what is your favorite paint scheme? I picked one I really liked just because it was its simplicity. When I first watched it at Daytona that year, um, uh, I'm picking the number 25 Performance Plus Motor Oil Chevrolet for GMS Racing, uh, and it was driven by Dalton Sargent in the first 16 races of that season. Um, the truck was uh, yellow in the front, black in the back, basically from the A-post back. Uh, the 25 uh, was white with yellow lining on the sides, on the doors, and then uh, it was yellow with white lining on the roof. Um, Sergeant, I, I read this. Sergeant actually chose 25 to honor Tim Richmond. I did not know that uh, at the time when I was reading this. I'm like, okay, that's cool. Uh, but unfortunately, he was let go uh, from the team after 16 races due to what was unfortunate circumstances. Um, his best qualifying effort was a second at Chicago Land, and his best finish was third at Pocono uh, two races later, I believe. Um, so yeah, I just liked it. I really liked it. I really, I'm one of my favorite numbers is 25. So that's probably a, a big reason why it, it also stands out to me. But, um, you know, it is a simple design. It's not crazy. Um, Performance Plus also did some sponsoring with prior to this with like Greg Biffle and, and um, Roush Racing. And those had some good design cars. 
Um, but um, this one was just simple, and it looked good for a truck too. I don't know if I don't know if this car, or this paint scheme, comes off as well on a car, on an Xfinity or Cup car. But it really stands out on a truck, so that's why I picked it there. Um, all right, so let's go ahead and move on here um, to uh, our first race. We'll talk about uh, what we was classified as a race. And that's Formula One at, uh, at Spa this weekend for the Belgian Grand Prix. Um, Rob, I don't know about you. I uh, I have one of those nights with this, you know, changing my work schedule back. And thank goodness it's changing next week again. Because uh, my body has had to relearn when to sleep and when not to. Um, I woke up and I said, okay, I'm just going to take it. I'm going to not watch the first 15 minutes of this race. I'm going to take 15 extra minutes of, of, of sleep. Didn't matter. It was it was under rain delay. It was under rain delay, and then I went out there and I'm watching. I'm like, okay, well, I'll just kind of drift off to sleep and nap. Two hours. I took an on and off again nap for two hours. Still no racing at all. And um, yeah, just three I hours. I'm really delay. glad that our mornings were very similar. Yeah, it was <laughs> first it of was, all because I woke up. I woke up early. So here's how. Here's my night. Here's my night. Um, Super Formula Race started at one o'clock. I power napped. For like uh, an hour before that, I watched that. And then I stayed up for a little while longer, power napped until about four fifty, which five a.m. for the Formula Three race. Watched the Formula Three race, power napped again until eight fifty-five. Got up, watched F one, and then as soon as I, as soon as they started delaying the race and called the cars back, I was like, I am going to nap, and I napped. Yes. And I napped and I napped and I napped and I napped and I said, I'm not going to wake up until I know that this race is going to get going. And finally they call it and I'm like, all right, I'm going to go to sleep again until the Arca race, which is probably going to put me to sleep again, which it did. Um, and uh, that is how I watched it. Now, Josh, I, I alluded to this to you earlier, but Boy, I'm going to explain. Yeah. I want everybody to know why. This it seems like everybody or most people are very very bothered by the what happened here in this in this race where where you know you only have what is essentially a farce of a race you only run one yeah. official lap two actual laps behind the safety car um, and everything else is just done by rain now the F three race was F three all weekend was basically in the rain it was in very very high rain conditions almost like monsoon conditions not that bad but not as bad as as the race on Sunday, but you could definitely tell it was going to be tough yeah. on Sunday. And and the conditions gradually got worse throughout the F3 race, and then they got worse throughout the uh, Porsche Super Cup race. I didn't watch a Porsche Super Cup race, but I saw pictures from it, and it was definitely worse than – the conditions were definitely worse there than they were during the F3 race. So definitely conditions were worsening through the race, throughout the day and just getting progressively worse. Now, the reason why I don't particularly have a problem with the FAA – and Formula One, and everybody essentially not abandoning the race, but essentially saying, yeah, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do this. Is I want, if you have not seen the accident during W Series race, during W Series qualifying, where they were out running on slicks, and then it rained right at the top of Eau Rouge, and everybody spun, and Beske Visser is in the hospital still. I, I don't know if she's been released yet, but she was in the hospital, as I checked. Um, that's why I really don't care. Spa's dangerous. Yes. Spa's way too freaking dangerous for these cars. I'm sorry. Um, like, I don't usually like to say outright that a track is dangerous. 
but I have seen way too many injuries, fatal accidents, or just horrifying accidents where they walk away, but it's still like so jarring to watch. Yeah, at Spa, that to be honest with you, I didn't even. I I was totally fine with them not racing. Like I was nervous when they started. I was like, dude, this is gonna get. I'm I'm genuinely nervous for the start of this race. I'm right. genuinely nervous for them to go lights out with that low visibility up Eau Rouge with all the spray that's going to cap. I mean, they're going to crash. They're going to crash at Eau Rouge. It's going to be a big mess and they're just going to have to stop the race again. I mean, this is, and then they talked about, you know, Oh, back in 1998, you had this same thing happen basically. Yeah. 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 You had this big giant accident because nobody could see. So while I feel bad for all of the fans that came out there and, and didn't get refunds, I, I don't feel upset that they they po- they didn't postpone the race to a next day. I don't feel upset about any of that, mainly because I just think Spa is is not the safest track to run in those kinds of conditions. I think if it was uh, a much more low speed track, like or, or in a flatter race track, perhaps, um, you know, not maybe not. I I would I would say Silverstone is pushing it a bit, but I would say like the uh, Red Bull Ring, Austria. You know, that's a track where, you know, I wouldn't hate it if they ran in those kinds of conditions. It wouldn't be the safest thing, but it would be it would still be safer than running in those conditions at Spa. Yes. So those conditions were way too unsafe, period. So I didn't really want to see anybody out there getting hurt or potentially risking themselves. I understand why a lot of people are upset and calling it a farce and everything, but to me, I was mo- it was more of a feeling of relief when they when they finally you know, called the race. It was more of a feeling of relief. I was like, okay, good. We're not going to have the potential for this horrifying accident. You know, yeah, it bums you out because, okay, well, grain is the rain is the great equalizer. I'm sure George Russell could have maybe pulled off a, a, a magic win here. But <laughs> that being said, I still didn't want to see a, a major accident again. And I was like, I, I've seen one already this weekend. And I just don't want to see it again. I've seen one last year. I've seen one two years ago. I'm just not interested in seeing another one. I'm sorry. I'm just not interested in seeing more like spectacular accidents at Spa because the visibility was too low. You know, I, I just, I don't, I don't, I, I understand why other people are upset, but I'm, I'm personally totally okay with that. Well, I, I, I echo everything that, that most of everything you said, I guess. Um, I, I do think I was never concerned that they were going to start this race. But there's no way Max can say we're good all he wants. But when the other 19 drivers are saying no, there's no way they're going to start it. I think um, I think from the very get go, it was. The plan was just run two laps and call it a race. Uh, I was never worried. I sat there like, there's no way they're going to start this race. There's no way. I was I, never the thought never entered my mind. I was never worried that, that they were going to get on the grid or there's going to be drivers having to start on pit road because they were like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not going to go into turn one like that. It's already one of the most dangerous starts in F1. Again, I just, I wasn't worried about that. When Sergio Perez crashed on, on the, um, on the warm up lap. Yeah. That was, that was pretty much all you needed to know that this, it's no, not track, good. No, it's not, not a good situation out there. No, and not at all. Um, I mean, there's there certainly a lot of drama just came out of that. I mean, that was worth staying up. Um, I, I actually slept through the decision that he was going to be able to roll off, um, oddly enough. Um, but, yeah, I uh, I think 
it's disappointing that um, I feel bad for the fans. They got some racing in that day, but they didn't go to get to see the big show. I will say that, and I won't allude to all of it because there is a question uh, later in the show related to this, but I do think that uh, a refund of some sort is in order for the fans because you don't, there's certain fans like Rob, you and I, we're going to buy a ticket to the race, you know, and, and we'll go see the F3 race, the W Series race, you know, whatever's racing that day before the big show, right? We'll, we'll do that. Not everyone does, I'm sure. Uh, they go there, they buy their buy ticket. Okay, the race starts at 3 o'clock. I'm going to show up and uh, at 1.30 and, and, and find my seat and, or whatever time they need to be there to just see the F, F1 race. Uh, a full refund is maybe in question, but I definitely think the FIA, because of the reason we'll talk about later, needs to give Spa and its promoter some money to redistribute back to fans that, that, were, that were robbed of the opportunity to watch F1 cars race. Again, not their fault. It's not their fault, but I think that's the right thing to do. Um, and uh, you know, I just, uh, I just I'm feel in bad. agreement with you on that. I mean, that was the biggest thing. Now, I understand that the funding, from what I understand, is is if they were to give out refunds, which I don't believe they can, based on the FIA rules. Well, I don't I, know how that, that works. I think there's some muddy well, pieces there where they. Like there's some le- like legal jargon or whatever that says they can't, but I think that the main thing is that it would come from Spa and they would basically yes. be losing most of their revenue from right. that weekend, which yeah, the is money a would big have to money maker from... for them the whole year. Right. The the a lot of some people were pointing out that very thing that the money the FIA needs to give back some of their the sanctioning fee, which is obviously Rob we've talked about is way too high to host an F1 race, which shows. Which here's something I wanted to point out too. You talk about how expensive this sport is. Excuse me. Uh, you talk about how expensive the sport is. And, um, you know, you, you kind of had a couple of team principals say, yeah, we could race this race tomorrow and make it to, to Zandafort, you know, uh, on, on for Sunday and be ready to, to go there. You think about this for a second. A NASCAR race. I know these cars are really complex, but think about a NASCAR race. What does a team bring to the track? A hauler in two cars. All this, it takes an army. Once the race is over, the army starts disassembling these mobile homes, these mobile headquarters. That needs to go. I'm sorry. I've been thinking of this for a long time in F1. Like, it's, yeah, this, at that point, it's just posturing, you know, that you don't need all these, you don't need all these people. You don't need all these, this, these complexes that you have to tear down then reassemble. That's half your the time lost right there or gained if you if you get rid of them i would have liked to personally have seen and maybe they were looking at the radar the next day i i guess i haven't seen someone that yeah i had read that the radar on monday wasn't any better than the radar on sunday and they didn't mention that on, on on the broadcast so to me if the radar on monday looked better than it did on sunday i would have said okay we're racing this thing at 10 o'clock in the morning we're gonna give it a shot you know, if the, it, it, or or I'd say, hey, we're looking at the radar. If the race isn't looking, or the 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 forecast between ten and twelve isn't looking good for us to get an hour and a half of racing in in between that window, um, we're calling it here. We're, we're or we're going to do the two laps of parade, and we're gonna and we're gonna move on. Um, I just um, I didn't, 
and I, I wish they would have talked about that on the broadcast, on the TV broadcast. It, by the way, kudos to ESPN for keeping it on there. I was kind of worried that ESPN was like going to drop it off. Like, I, I like that was my worry. I'm like, ESPN is going to kick this off for something else. I know it's my favorite happen. part is that they actually did end up re-airing the race later in the day, like they normally do on ESPN News. But they really, they they had like a whole the whole like two hours slotted out for the race. Yeah. And I think they only they only needed to air like 30 minutes of it. They yeah. really quite honestly yeah. aired a condensed highlight version because yeah. there's no point to air like the two and a half hours or whatever that we were just sitting around waiting for something to happen. Yeah. I mean, nobody wants to watch that, I'm sure. Nobody wanted to watch that. And anybody who actually tuned in to see that probably was very much disappointed with what ended up actually happening in that morning. Yeah, um, no kidding. But Still, I thought it was funny. You know, you're applauding ESPN. I'm applauding them for actually re-airing the race like they always do in prime time. Like yeah. They've traditionally re-aired the race in prime time every every Sunday, and they did again this week. But they 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 re-aired it even though they really had nothing to re-air. Yeah. So a, a couple kind of points of wrap up here. Max Verstappen won the race. Okay, he qualified on pole. This race was determined by qualifying and then Sergio Perez wrecking. Um. So, Max Verstappen won. Lewis Hamilton was third, but because George Russell put out a second-place lap, he got his first podium and scored points for, for Williams as I just well. just say that Russell, Russell getting second. He was tracking first, and I was freaking out. I don't know. Did you see my tweet about this, Josh? I must have missed this one. Oh, please go back and look it up because this is it's a Family Guy clip. And it it very much was exactly how I felt and how I think everyone else felt watching George Russell track P1 for a while. And and that was how I felt about it. And uh, I was just, I was like, this is insane. This is, is, how is this happening? Like, how is this happening? What, I mean, rain, is it really just this rain that is caused? I mean, first of all, I was sitting there thinking like, thinking to myself, because I actually, I didn't, I I didn't catch uh, Q1 or Q2. I only tuned in right at Q3. So I'm looking at Q3 and I saw Lando Norris because I just tuned in like right after land like right after Lando had crashed. And I tuned in and I see George Russell in Q3 and I'm I'm very confused, like out of context. I'm like, what happened here? And then he tracks P1. I'm like, did they like stick a totally did they like overpower the engine or something to get this? I thing think up the Williams car is good in the rain. No, yeah, he was just good in the rain. Yeah. But I was just I was sitting there thinking, like, he's faster than Hamilton. He's faster than Perez. He's faster than uh, freaking Botas. Like, I, I, for a moment there, he was faster than Verstappen until Verstappen started purpling in every sector. I was just, I was like, man. And then Verstappen sweeps him at the line, and you just hear this collective groan just throughout the world of everybody like, oh, no. It was like, we're happy for Max. Everybody's happy for Max. But, oh, George Russell on pole would have been so much cooler. Yes. Well, I think uh, I know what Williams is going to be hoping for every race this year. Rain. Rain. Because that car can go in the rain. So, um, as a, I forget where uh, uh, Perez um, qualified here. But uh, Sainz was elevated into, into 10th. Latifi was 9th. Leclerc was 8th. Ocon was 7th. Gasly was 6th. Vettel was 5th. Ricardo was 4th. So that was that was the rest of the top ten. There are point scoring people. So, uh, anyways, let's move on here uh, to the Xfinity series, which uh, started on Friday night. 
and had a little dramatic there. And, it, and, and I was one of those head-banging moments like, what were you thinking? And I got I got pointed at Joe Gibbs Racing, number 19 team, Brandon Jones. You've got water pushing out. You've got a competition caution coming up. You're going to be the lucky dog. Pit now. Don't wait two laps. And put water and recycle the engine. Instead, they waited till lap nine to pit. And by that point, the, the little stream of water that's pouring out is now Old Faithful. And it is and it is blowing. It's gone. You're like, this, this engine's going to expire. Is There's no way. And like... Steve Latart knew it too, like up in the booth. Like he's like, "Yeah, this 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 engine's gone." And uh, then they finally hook it up to recycle. Uh, and and you know what? It, it, it was done. As as other cars are lining up and putting the tarps on because of the rain that came under that comp caution, his car's getting pushed to the garage. And you're like, "Well, if he's coming back out here, it's 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 very low chances." So there you go. Brandon Jones lost a crap ton of points right there. The race is is postponed, and NASCAR did a great job. By the way, during this point, if you were if you were one of the people who were unfortunate not to watch this race live, all right, uh, on Friday night, you saw the makings of a great TV show, and that is Steve Letart, Jeff Burton, and Dale Earnhardt Jr. rewatching late '90s and early 2000s races, and and like having. The narration play or the actual um, commentate uh, commentating crew from the original race play, but them them talking over it because Jimmy's like, "Oh, I got real loose right there." That was like the, the bump, and he's talking through the old Daytona track. I'm like, why is this not a thing? This is this is NBC MST two three K with race with with NASCAR. Yeah, I just want this to be, I want this to become a regular thing. So what they did was they replayed the two thousand one Pepsi four hundred race. Uh, it would love seeing these old cars, by the way. And by the way, that package is so superior with that was, was going on there. Good Every, cars. Everything mattered. about the racing back then, everything about everything was just better. And yeah. maybe I'm looking at this through rose-colored glasses and nostalgia, but I don't, I don't care. If anything, if anything, the sound was better than the what, sound we was hear, better. what we hear now. The sound was definitely better. And I think we're going to go back to that with the, this next car, but um, – I lost my train of thought here. Was it going? Oh yeah. So as I was, as I was going to point out was like having a good car mattered in 2001. That was very similar to what we saw with the Xfinity series. They had a mm-hmm. slight uh, uh, horsepower adjustment, and having a good car mattered. And it was evident that a the Chevrolets were superior to all the other manufacturers out there, but the Colleg team was just hey, watch out, try to beat they, us. They have they have super speedways figured out in the Xfinity series i love it and i want to say something about the xfinity series here real quick is this was a really good race for the xfinity series i really enjoyed it um only thing i want to say though still is hey uh nascar did you know that moving this race two months later into hurricane season was inevitably going to still postpone the race I mean, I've said this. I said this last year, and I'll probably say it again next year, and I'll probably say it again until they finally come to their senses and move this race back to July 4th. But they won't. They're this not is, going this, to. It is going to always get postponed. You, are, you literally did not, nobody any favors by moving this race from July 
to late August. I mean, you are literally in the peak of hurricane season now. You you moved it from the start of hurricane season, where it was just going to be a little bit rainy, but less likely, to where it's almost guaranteed to rain every single race. And you're lucky if it doesn't. Where we got really lucky it didn't rain Saturday night. I yeah. genuinely thought it was going to rain. It didn't, thankfully. It rained during the wrong race. It rained on Friday night, and I was like, I, I knew this was going to happen. So what did I do? Well, I turned on SmackDown. So I didn't actually see a lot of that um, MST3K with NASCAR that you're talking about, which was – I wish I did. I was watching SmackDown instead. But that's that's my bad. I like wrestling. Um, and, and to be honest with you, I didn't think they were going to do that. I just figured, oh, okay, rain delay. Race is called. I can change the channel right now. I didn't think they were going to stay with the broadcast and they show this old broadcast. race and start yeah. talking over. I didn't think they were going to do that until they, I started they, reading they about it on Twitter. Something really cool and instead of replaying the 2020 race. You know, that is so well, yeah. cool. Don't, don't play a race that's three years old. Replay a race that's 20 years old and, and show a little bit of history. And that's what they did. Good I half wonder if it's NASCAR not wanting them to show stuff that old because they know what people used to like and they don't want us to see it ever again. And that, and that, I don't know. I well, when oh, that would be kind of surprising that the the cart's actually behind the horse on that one um, instead of the other way around. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but it was a it was a good race when it resumed on on uh, Saturday. There was a crash before the end of stage one that took out Austin Cindric. So as a result of him crashing and A.J. Allmendinger scoring more points than anyone that day, he took over the, the regular season championship with three races to go. That's going to be a fun points battle to watch, as well as the cut line one, um, because now there's three drivers, Brandon Jones, Jeremy Clements, and Riley Herbst are all 81 or less points below, are above the cut line. And uh, directly below is Michael Annette, who was also involved in that crash who needed a good points day, who entered with four races to go, had 41 points behind, very doable. Now he's got some work to do, might require a win. But the good news is that he can take solace in, as well as Ryan Sieg and Brandon Brown to an extent. And I say to an extent because they are lesser funded. They're not as, unfortunately, not as fast as these other guys. But A.J. Allmendinger pulled a 99-point swing in two races on Austin Cindric because Austin Cindric had unfortunate luck at Michigan and Daytona. 99 points. 99 points, I repeat. 99 point swing. So it's doable in three races that if if these guys close to the cut line have issues, like really bad issues early, and they don't score stage points, and these guys just get good finishes, let alone some stage points, maybe through some strategy, they could find themselves potentially pointing their way in potentially again these aren't it's gonna be tough tracks darlington richmond and bristol but it, it it's possible all you can do is try so uh but the coolest thing about the weekend and this included some pretty good racing on sunday or saturday night excuse me was the colleague three wide at, at the end i thought for, for so so what happened here is aj almondinger was getting a push from jeb burton down the back stretch and Inside of him was, I believe, Harrison Burton, and he was falling back. Oh, it was Christopher Bell, excuse me. It was Christopher Bell on the 54. He's falling back. At that point in time, all of a sudden, Justin Haley's got a head of steam. He's coming. He's faster than everyone else on that track at the point. Jeb Burton dives low, puts A.J. Allmendinger in the middle. Justin Haley goes high. All of a sudden, they're three wide. Allmendinger saved it here because he side-drafted Burton just right and that enclosed the field, and they have nowhere to go. So 
through turn four and exiting turn uh, four onto the uh, first leg of the of the trial here, Colic Racing is pretty wide. I'm like, Matt Colic had to be choking there. He's like, don't wreck, don't wreck. And it was almost a one, two, three, three wide finish for, for Colic, except Justin Allgaier reigned on their parade and finished third. Haley won the race. So his four, all four of his wins are now on super speedways. He's had some chance to win at other races. I don't consider him just a super speedway guy. Um, just hasn't had the luck to, to finish it out. And this year's been pretty rough on him. But um, he's he's really good at these plate races. And, I mean, it goes to show, hey, he did finish pretty well in the Spire car, stayed out of trouble, uh, was there where he needed to be, and had a shot to win the cup race on Saturday night. Um, again, so he's he's just good. And I love what he said at the end, too. For He goes, this is my third-ish, fourth win at Daytona because he won there uh, in 2019 uh, in the rain-shortened cup race, and then he won in the fall, or excuse me, the August race in the Xfinity Series, and he won on uh, Saturday afternoon. But he was DNQ'd, uh, disqualified, in 2018 for passing below the yellow line, what NASCAR deemed passing below the yellow line. Very, that, that one isn't as cut and dry as the Regan Smith-Tony Stewart one from 2008, but uh, it was still, he, he, he still felt like he rightfully won that race. But it was a good race. I loved it. Able to pass. Uh, the good cars went to the front. That's the way it needs to be at, at play at super speedway races. Um, and then uh, Hemrick and uh, Harrison Burton clinched playoff spots. So that's that's kind of the summary of the Xfinity race. On to the cup race here. Um, Rob, I assume you watched this race live. You watched it live, right? Yeah, and I have some thoughts about it. And Go ahead. It, it, goes, it goes back to what I've said about this style of, of super speedway racing all over time. Joey Logano said it after the after the race. Other drivers have said it, and I'll say it again. Uh, Tony Stewart said it best, though, when he said that if we're not tearing up at least 50% of the race cars, we need to extend the race. And what did we do? We tore up more than 50% of the race cars, and yeah. we ended up extending the race. Um, seems like uh, Tony Stewart has uh, prophesized this happening because it continues to happen with every single plate race in the Cup Series. The Xfinity Series manages somehow to be able to finish races under green and not wad the whole field up every single uh, Super Speedway race. Meanwhile, in the Cup Series, they can't seem to do it as soon as twenty. As soon as it's twenty laps to go, all bets are off. Everybody doesn't care about one another, and everybody's just trying to win. And it's like, if I kill this guy, who cares? Whatever, I went for it. And it's like, I don't know if it's the the package, the style of racing, or the drivers, or a combination of all three, but whatever it is, it's getting ridiculous. It's It's a combination of all three. It's getting ridiculous to watch. I mean, the the thing about it is, yeah, okay, you you note here, relatively calm the first 140 laps, and, and relatively is the key here, because compared to... Earlier races with this package compared to other races from the past two years, I guess, in cu- in cup super speedway races. That is, yeah, we weren't we didn't see a bunch of cars wad them up, wad themselves up. Now they were trying to though. Try That's to. The there's, a, there's about they a were trying to. There. You know the amount of times where they were running single file, which I understand people don't like to see. But if I'm being completely honest with you, I'd rather see these drivers run single file when they need to calm down. Yeah. Rather than try and run single file to get through the race. You know, I think there should be a time. There's a time and a place for everything. And I think but the problem is the problem with with that is 
it's like, yes, at some point I want them to, you know, run around single file for a little bit and just calm down and wait to the end of the race. But then the problem is when they do that, they get all these nerves built up throughout the whole whole time of the race where they're like, all right, I've been just sitting riding around this whole time. I want to go racing. And that's when they start to make these crazy aggressive blocks, crazy aggressive pushes and bump drafts, crazy aggressive moves, crazy aggressive lane changes, all this crap that leads to big messes. And what do we see on Sunday? We see everybody waiting until 20 to go to basically start pulling moves out of their rear ends every single lap trying to make up spots. And you see guys pounding each other, literally just pounding each other. I mean, the two-car tandem had its moments and to be honest with you i miss it now after watching this it's 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 stuff like this i just i miss when plate racing was exciting but calm at the same time it doesn't feel like it's it has that illusion of calmness it always feels like every single lap every single turn every single time a one car bump drafts the other there's a potential for a huge mess that's going to take out the entirety of the field and it just bothers me and again it goes back to why is this a get a still a, a, an elimination race it's all for drama it's all for pointless drama and it causes these scenarios where drivers have to make desperate moves in the very I mean look I mean you you see what happened to I mean first of all I want to say this gets later in the race we haven't talked about it yet but I want to say this um Chase Elliott it made the dumbest move, the dumbest act of a champion I want to say I've ever seen. That was not a champion move. That was the dumbest move I've ever seen. He had no reason to block Matty D. Matty D had no reason to force the issue like he did. But, oh, wait, he did because NASCAR kind of pushed him into this box where if he wants his season to continue, he has to go crazy in the last race at Daytona where anything goes and anything can happen. So Matty D's basically desperate. Chase Elliott has absolutely nothing to gain, nothing to lose either, but nothing he's to got, gain. He's got five. He's got five playoff points to gain. He's got whatever. He's got he's, he's got he's got something to gain, but he doesn't have a, as much to gain as De Benedetto. He has. He had absolutely no reason to throw that block. And then, be honest with you, another thing goes that the blocking in, is still crazy. The, the blocking, blocking is is getting to be the most frustrating and infuriating thing because every time you see the I mean it's one thing to block the bottom and then you know the other the, the other lane gets a run on you and, and they just go side by side that's one thing you know it's another thing to literally block three lanes yeah that's what frustrates me to watch because I just know every time they do that Someone's going to ram someone else, not hit them square enough, or someone's going to come right up in front of them, and they're going to wreck the whole field. And we saw that happen on Sunday. We saw it happen on Saturday. We see it happen every super speedway race. It's getting ridiculous. Something has to change either with this package, either with the drivers, or or in general, NASCAR needs to look at super speedway racing and say, this is not safe, and this has not been safe for a while. Ryan Newman almost died two years ago because of this kind of crazy desperate desperation moves that we're seeing out of these drivers almost every single race, and they're not stopping. They haven't learned from it, and they probably have no incentive to stop because of the BS that NASCAR BS box that NASCAR pushes them in every single every single time we get this far. Daytona should not be a cutoff race. This is dangerous. This is, I mean, to be honest with you, Daytona as a cutoff race is almost as dangerous as running spa in monsoon conditions. I would have preferred if neither have taken place this weekend because to be honest with you, the anxiety that comes around it from watching it as a race fan where you're just concerned that somebody is going to get hurt every single lap. That's seriously how it felt 
That's how it feels to watch modern-day cup racing on super speedways. I am concerned every single lap that somebody is going to get hurt, and I know that they're going to all wad every car up on the last lap, and it's going to be a big mess of fireballs, and NASCAR is going to use it in promotions like they do. What are they doing this year, that big wadded-up mess on the last lap of the 500? Oh, you better believe it was used to promote this Saturday's race. It and was. Let me tell you, they're going to use the same darn thing again when February rolls around. They're going to use the same crashes that we saw the la- on the last lap here, and they're going to use that to promote the Daytona 500. It's ridiculous. It's sick and it's sad and it needs to stop. These are not. It's not good when you have these potentially. I don't care how safe these NASCAR Cup cars are. We've seen that the right scenario could injure it or potentially kill a driver. It doesn't matter how safe these cars are when you have a very specific situation that could be brought on that could actually harm or injure a driver. And I'm just not here for it. I'm not ready to see it. I don't want to see it. I don't want to watch it. And I just would like super speedway racing to go back to that, you know, kind of controlled chaos where yes, you knew it was chaotic. Yes. You knew everyone was tight, close together, three, four wide, sometimes even five wide, all that stuff. But at the very least you knew that every driver in that field, in that pack was going to give each other room and respect each other now they have no incentive to do that because of the box that nascar's placed them into you have about four five six drivers out there who have to do everything and anything they can to win the race and that means putting their car or putting other people in dangerous or potentially risky situations and that's what they're doing and i'm sorry the race was good i'm not denying the fact that we saw a good entertaining and fun race but i'm just sick and tired of watching these super speedway races and having my heart sit in my throat the entire time because it's just getting old it's absolutely getting old i'm i'm almost concerned for talladega because i feel like we're going to have an you know we're going to have another big mess now it's probably not going to be as bad as daytona because daytona you're forced into a box at least talladega is not an elimination race like it used to be but again that goes back to the point i made last year, last week is that NASCAR said, oh, Talladega can't be an elimination race because it poses too much of a, of a risk and a danger, and drivers are going to be too risky and make too crazy moves. But then they do the same thing by moving the Daytona race to the playoff cut race and think that it's going to be different. No, they knew what exactly what was going to happen, and they don't care. They just want drama. They want drama for the sake of drama. And that's what's bugging me the most about this whole situation. You know, They didn't move it because they moved it for drama. They didn't move it for whatever BS reason they said, oh, because the weather is going to be better. No, guess what? The weather is not better. The weather is not going to be better. It's Daytona in late August. It's freaking hurricane season. You're going to get rain constantly. We are literally getting hit. New Orleans right now is getting hit by one of the biggest hurricanes in quite some time. And that stuff was hitting Daytona just a couple of days prior. So it that's this is all for my rant today. I have to rant about this because this is I have to get this off my chest because as good as the race was, the driving standards and the driving that is going on is is unacceptable. And I'm just done. I've had it. I can't take it anymore. Josh, you can lead us through the rest of this race and discussion, but I I really I've said all I want to say about this race, regardless of how good it was. I think it was a great race, but I hate I hate watching races like that. Well, I guess I'll address what you've said. Um I, I think the uh, what we were watching on Saturday, Friday night in the 2001 race at Daytona, we need to get back to that because that that one as we were mentioning as with the, as with the Xfinity race and with the 2001 Pepsi 400, having a good car mattered. Now, what I will say, what with the changes that they made in the Cup Series, I felt that 
having a good car mattered more than it did at Daytona, but it didn't guarantee that you could control the field um, like you could 20 years ago. And it didn't guarantee that you could control the field like maybe you could in the Xfinity series. But I don't mind Daytona being the cutoff race. It doesn't matter where it was going to be at. If this was July 4th race, and you're a team like uh, Corey LaJoy, you're still desperate. You're going like, this is my last chance to win a race. Or if you're, or if you're one of those fringe teams, you're like, man, I just, I just don't know. I, I got to give it all I got. This is my last chance to get in. You have to take it as it's usually your last chance. Does it heighten it? Because it is the cutoff race in the last race? Absolutely it does. Does NASCAR want drama? Absolutely they do. I mean, they are they are in the entertainment business, but they're a sport, and that's a subcategory of entertainment. So they, they, they do want the clicks. They do want the, the trends on Twitter, Instagram, whatever. They do want that. I don't mind it being at the cutoff race for the, uh, the final race of the regular season. I don't. I do want to see more spread out, safer racing, though. I will say that. I, I cannot argue with that because I felt like I didn't feel as nervous this time. But what, what, what made it more in a, a nervous in a different way is that the drivers had more control on what they did. I, it, if, in my opinion, what I was watching compared to what I watched at Daytona in February, they just felt I felt like they had more control over their car instead of what the run and what the line was doing and you you had more decisions and i don't know if that was that that was that was the actual fact or the the reality of it or if i was just watching it from tv and that was my perception but they do need to go they need to find a way to sort of spread these cars back out you know because i'm sorry this pack 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 racing all the time is not like you said, it's not always the best because when you get strung out and the guys calm down, okay, now you're getting these nerds back built back up. Instead of it kind of strung out naturally on its own, we're like, okay, let's get these five cars together. Let's go after those seven guys up front. Let's get in line. Whereas you back in the day, you have seven cars and you're not really in a straight line, but you're moving faster because you have a better car. Your car's handling better. You have better grip in your car. Guys are drafting behind the better car, and the better car yeah. is pulling those guys yeah. up through to the front of the pack. Absolutely. And I, 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 again, I, I hate to counter with you, but that's kind of the point of this. Oh, podcast. it's right. You're it, more than it, welcome to counter me. Yeah, I, I, I had I, a very strong feeling about this race because I knew exactly how it was going to go, and I predicted and, it to, down to a T. I yeah, knew they were all going to wad them up on the last lap, and sure enough, they were going to wad them up as soon as 20 laps to go. You had a restart with less than 20 laps to go. It was inevitable that everybody was going to crash. You were going to have one or two guys that were going to get lucky and avoid all of the big wrecks. And sure enough, yeah, the one or two guys that ended up being lucky was Ryan Blaney, Bob Wallace, and Chris Buescher. Chris Buescher ended up getting disqualified. Yeah, dude, yeah. But despite that fact, he still survived the carnage, whereas everybody behind those guys either didn't or had some kind of form of damage. Yeah. I again, if you spread these guys out, I don't think that you're still going to have a wreck. You're still going to have a wreck, but they're going to be more spread out. I don't. I'd think rather that... see a wreck come into the finish after having not wrecked like three or four times prior to that, and have it be yeah. like a small time wreck, like crashes the back. Never mind, green flag still out. The fifty second yeah. Daytona five hundred to Jamie Murray, like that. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. I, that's Mike Joy's call word for word like that. I, re, I, I remember it. It's a great call. You know, that's that's the kind of accident I want to see. If I want if I'm going to see accidents happen on the last lap, I want to see it back further in the pack. I don't want to see it happen between the leaders where it ends up literally taking out everybody else. You yes. know, because everybody else is going at full momentum. Nobody's lifting. Nobody's doing anything, so- especially in the last lap. I want to see those back markers wreck on the last lap going for it all, trying to get every spot that they can, every point that they can, rather than the leaders desperately trying to win in order to save their season, wrecking the whole field in the process. I just don't want to see that. That's my feel. And that's if they sp- if they spread them out, you don't have that issue, but they're on top of each other. You know, the whole the whole you have 15 cars under a blanket used to be kind of the top. Now you have. 30 cars under a blanket at times if they're three wide and they and they stay that way. That is certainly entertaining for a few laps. But after a while, like you're like, man, there's these guys, these guys are gonna wreck. I mean, how many times do you count uh, count on a lap like that was almost a wreck? That was almost a wreck. I was doing that with, with That's what was making me so anxious and nervous yeah. the whole time. And you didn't really have that back then. I don't like you like tandem racing. I thought tandem racing was the worst thing ever. I hated it. It was fun the first time, but after that, I hated it. I'd rather them go back to where, all right, these 10 cars, they've separated themselves because they're better. If the cars in the next pack of 10 want to beat them, they've got to really work together. they gotta, they got to get organized, and they got to catch them. And then that, in, in the, you don't have to be right on top of each other to do that because the package allows that. Now, they, they just... It, the package is wrong. The car's wrong. Get rid of the splitter. Right, raise the ride heights, and you 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 will have you won't have as an exhilarating of a product, but you will have less torn up cars. You will you will lower the chance of big crashes with potential injury because yeah, we've had you know this year we've had some pretty nasty, gnarly looking wrecks. Um, at in I was. I was surprised manufacturing didn't take take more of a role in this race either. That was the biggest shock that I had. There was kind of no like pit stops was interesting with that was really the Ford's only all time. stopped first and yeah and the that Chevys was really and the, the Toyotas result. came and that was interesting. But outside of that, yeah, you're right. I mean, it wasn't really like you know Chevys weren't trying to push Chevys, Fords weren't yeah. trying to push Fords. It was really more kind of every man for himself, which again is fine. My yeah. reasoning for why I like the t- tandem drafts, I just want to throw this out here know, before we I move know. on, was it's simply because. It was um it was as unpredictable of a, of a race, but it was much more calm, and I kind of like that. I I and especially compared to to current modern day racing where it's just balls to the wall insanity for two hundred laps. I kind of liked seeing oh okay these two guys they they hooked up and now they're going to the front and oh these two guys they got to separate so they're going to go back and they're going to hang out for a little bit and now okay these two guys these guys get a run together i don't know i just thought it was more unpredictable kind of fun to see different guys lead every every race you know i understand why people ended up falling out of love with it i understand why people ended up not liking it but for me i would take a tandem race over what over our current speedway package now if we could ideally get back to say the 2014 package that would be great but we're not there unfortunately and i don't know if nascar is ever going to go back there so we just kind of have to deal with what we have yeah uh so to wrap up the cup series i mean we obviously it was an entertaining race look it was an entertaining race i'm glad no one got hurt there were some big crashes it was a good it was a good race given the package that we had uh ryan blaney won uh 
and Tyler Reddick, who was involved in a crash, um, sur- survived long enough and got enough points to beat his teammate Austin Dillon, who Austin Dillon, I think, was going to be in the playoffs had he not been in that last lap crash. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it was Tyler Reddick. He's in the playoffs for the first time. Uh, so congrats to him. Uh, and he was in 11th in points entering that race. So that would have been pretty crazy to say the guy who had the 11 most points or whatever he was going to land there if, you know, say like Bubba won. But that's, that's the name of the game. We talked about this earlier. You win, you solve all of your issues. Uh, Rob, let's go into the uh, weekend wrap-up here. Uh, you have a number of races to share with us here. Yeah, we had actually a lot of races this weekend. Indy Pro 2000, USF 2000. We had uh, a couple of those road to, lower road to Indies, not uh, Indy Lights, but those guys were out in New Jersey Motorsports Park, which is a great track if you ever get it's a, a chance. It's a great track. It's a beautiful track. track. It's really disappointing that it doesn't get more um, recognition like it should. Yeah. I really would like to see. You know, ARCA used to race there back yeah. several, like more than 10 years ago now, but... It's a cool track to see Arca run at. And I'd like to see, you know, with NASCAR making all these big pushes for more road course races, I'd like to see, like, a, a truck race or an Xfinity race at, at New Jersey sometime. Call me crazy. I'd rather see Arca go to New Jersey than Watkins Glen. Well, yeah, I could see. I, I'll, I'll, if you're going to have a northeast road course, I'd rather them go to New Jersey Motorsports Park than Watkins Glen. Yeah, but I, I'd like to see New Jersey, like, get the proper recognition it deserves. You know, like, I'd uh, like yeah. to see them... I think it'd be cool to see a truck race there for sure. Yeah, exactly. Like, at least a truck race there. You know, I, I don't know. That's just me. But anyway, so NH Pro 2000 had three races this weekend. Race one was run won by Reese Gold. Race two was won by Artem Petrov. And race three was won by Hunter McElray. USF 2000 had uh, three races as well. Kiko Porto won race one. Miles Rowe for uh, Force Indy won yep. race two. Becomes the first African-American ever to win a IndyCar-sanctioned event. Or any, uh, I guess, feeder series, ladder series, road to Indy event. Which yep. is really cool. Really historic as well. Big deal. So good congratulations to Miles Rowe. Race three was won by uh, Nolan Siegel. Um, Formula Three was in Spa, ran all three races. Lorenzo Colombo won race one, and then Jack Doohan won won both uh, race two and three. Becomes the first driver to ever win multiple races in an F3 weekend. So Yuki Sonoda, uh, or almost did it last uh, last year, and now we've had someone do it in F2 this year. I can't remember what their name is, but now we've had Jack Doohan do it in F3. Uh, w Series was also in Spa. Emma Kimmelainen made a great pass on Jamie Chadwick to. Uh, seal her first w series win great job for emma kimmelainen and again like i said want to give our best wishes to beske vitz Vit, beske visser who is in i believe she's still in the hospital i'm not sure if she's been released yet but she was involved in that very scary accident at eau rouge when um during qualifying when rain hit well they were all out qualifying on slicks very very scary accident if you haven't seen this accident yet it I, I I don't even think you should, given just how scary spa accidents can be, but it's out there if you want to see it. Um, Super Formula was at Twin Ring Motegi. Tomoki Nujiri won, again, continuing his complete domination of Super Formula. Um, and then the Arkham Menard Series East, uh, Arkham Menard Series and Arkham Arca East Series was at the Milwaukee Mile. Ty Gibbs dominated the race, won ev- led every single race, and it was the first race back at Milwaukee for some time. Yes. Yes. Yes, Ty, Ty you're, you're shocked to hear that. Milwaukee in some time. Ty Gibbs literally led flag to flag. Uh, the race put me to sleep. There's really not much else to say. Um, other than, yeah, the race put me to sleep. Arca sucks, man. I don't know what to I say. Was, I mean. I was going to rewatch the race on. Uh, track pass? On, on, uh, yeah, track pass. But 
uh, unfortunately, when I saw he just down, I'm like, is it really worth my time? Even no, though it's I mean, I had, I had plenty of sleep that morning from the waiting for the F1 race to restart and 200 lap Arca race still put me to sleep at the Milwaukee mile. It shouldn't happen. Truck race 2022, same weekend as Road America. Please. God, make it happen. Who's our outstanding performances, Josh? I'm going to go with this one was kind of difficult, um, especially with no F1 race. Um, there was a race, but it really wasn't a race. Um, I go you with could, you could award qualifying. You could say I, I could have oh, awarded George Russell was great look, in qualifying. Whatever. Look, Russell was great in qualifying. I I, I can't give I, I that is certainly a potential. Um, but I'm going to actually give mine to Bubba Wallace. Um. I kind of wanted to pick one from this race. I got to give it to Bubba. He just he he's got the the the, the super speedways down. He's really good there. Uh, he's in great equipment now for for the what that is. I and I I like that he kept his nose clean throughout this race, and he was able to maneuver through the chaos. And there, with on the last restart, he was in a position to potentially win that race and be in the playoffs. That's all you can ask for in a, in a, in a, in a, in a race like that, and especially being the cutoff race. You know, that's all you can ask for. Is his season over? I, I no, it's not over. He can build build a lot in the next ten races, the final ten races of the year, and work on to you know what will be a second year with twenty three eleven, which hopefully we'll see just more improvement, especially when you get a teammate like Kurt Busch in there. Um, so yeah, I gotta give mine to Bubba. I, I know that might be kind of controversial for this one, given that you know, yeah, there was some other great performances, but I'm going to give mine to Bubba. Um, I'm gonna give mine to uh, again. I've got to give this guy. This guy is carrying Charuse. Um, he's miles ahead, the best American in Formula Three still, and he got two new pay drivers as uh as teammates over the summer break, and he retained his spot in Sharoos. And so that's Logan Sargent. Got to give it to him because guess what? He had an, he finished 8th, uh, 3rd, and 7th this weekend, scoring more points again, single-handedly carrying Sharoos in the uh, driver's sta- in the constructor's standings right now. As far as I can tell from my understandings, yes, Sharoos uh, right now is Logan Sargent is still one of the only consistent point scorers is only three races. Logan Sargent has not scored points in compared to his teammates who have literally not scored any higher than ninth all season. And uh, that was just a lucky guess at Hungary. And uh, yeah, every other race that his teammates have done have been uh, pretty much like 15th, 12th or worse. Yeah, 12th or worse in every single race other than those two. So Logan Sargent still carrying Sharoos. Again, I want to say this as well. Why are Formula One teams who want an American driver not throwing money in Logan? He is carrying the worst team on the Formula Three grid, giving them points scoring positions. He has literally scored. Um, yeah, he has literally scored all but three of Sharoos's points this year. Sharoos has 79 points. All but three of those are Logan Sargent's. I, I don't know how anybody can sit here and tell me this guy does not at least deserve to be an F2 or an IndyCar next I year. I an F2 ride next year. I would love Someone... him to get an F2 ride next year, absolutely. 
but I would hate to see his talent waste out and he'd end up like you mentioned Dal- uh, Dalton Sargent, his brother. Yeah. Earlier in the show, when with the featured pain scheme, the yeah. last thing I want to see happen is Logan fade away and fizzle out like Dalton did. Because Dalton, I think the two Sergeant brothers had great talent, and they still do. It's just I don't know what happened to Dalton, and Logan needs to have some kind of more funding in order to get further up this ladder. Because every single time he goes out there in F three, he impresses me. He qualifies in the top ten. He's always around. It, reverse grid pole is the best thing in the world that could happen to him. Because, I mean, every time, as long as he finishes in the points, he's going to be starting up at the front of the grid in position for a win. I don't know if he's going to get a win this year, but I wouldn't count it out. Um, he's, it was Zanvoort and Circuit of the Americas were the last two events for Formula 3 this year. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I definitely could tell you that Logan Sargent should not be overlooked for an F2 ride next year. It's just unfair that this guy is is getting overlooked all this time. He's the best American. Now, I do, I do, I do want to say as well, that we did have another American that finished on the podium. Jack Crawford also got a podium in race one, but Sargent was far more consistent than Crawford uh, was most of uh, the weekend, and that's why I'm giving it to Logan Sargent because, again, this dude, and this is ba- battling Spa in the rain, hanging in there in the worst car on the grid. It, it still blows my mind how how good uh, this guy is. So giving it to Logan Sargent, and uh, I think we can move on now. Yeah, let's go ahead and uh, let's make our – Cup Series playoff predictions this year, the 2021 edition. So let's just kind of go over the uh, the grid real quick. So you got Larson, he's number one, regular season champion. He's got 2,052 points. So basically this is called, he's got 52 points here. Truex is 28 back. Blaney's 28 back as well. Kyle Busch is 30 back. Chase Elliott's 31 back. Uh, Alex Bowman is minus 37. Hamlin's also minus 37. William Byron's minus 38. Lagana's minus 39. Kurt Busch is minus 44, as is Bryce Keselowski. McDowell's minus 47. Almirola's minus 47. Bell's minus 47. Reddick's minus 49. And Harvick is 16th uh, on the grid, minus 50. So, Rob, the round is 16. Uh, the three races are Darlington, Richmond, and Bristol. Who are your four you're going out? Uh, that one's easy. Um, because the four that always get dropped are always the lowest four in the, in the playoffs. Now, I didn't actually, I, ironically, I didn't pick put Harvick in here just because I think Harvick's going to have a little bit better of a showing in the first three rounds, and I don't, I think he's going to save himself from elimination, but uh, definitely the first four out are McDowell, Almirola, Reddick, and uh, Christopher Bell. Um, did I say? You, you picked Harvick. Did I pick Harvick? You picked Harvick. Oh, I did pick Harvick. Okay, yeah, well, did. never mind. Um, <laughs> I was looking at yours. Yeah. Shoot. Boy, I should I should get checked for some dyslexia. I retract what I just said, and <laughs> the bottom four are always... Okay, I'm going to just... Yeah, bottom four always get eliminated first. So Redacted. regardless of what happens, bottom four are going to eliminate it first because the bottom four really didn't have good enough seasons to get into the playoffs anyway. So they're going to they're gonna be... I, to be honest with you, with the exception of Harvick, I really have a hard time seeing McDowell, Almirola, or Reddick make it any make any gains on 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 the points it's it's just not possible i'm sorry i i mean i got mcdowell amarola and reddick as well uh reddick is reddick in uh or i got i don't have harvick i should say um but mcdowell amarola reddick and bell are my my choices i think harvick's gonna get enough points to squeak into the round of round of 
12, Reddick May. I kind of, I actually had a hard time choosing between Reddick and Harvick on this one because Reddick's just, he's 11th in points. He just doesn't have the playoff points right now. He doesn't have the wins. But I, I think Harvick will, will squeak by. That's why I chose, that's why I chose Harvick over Reddick. And, and Bell's just, unfortunately, just been, he's had a good, he had a kind of summary good summer, but he's just number four at Gibbs right now still. That's just the way that 20 cars roll in the past few years. Uh, so the round of 12 is Las Vegas, Talladega, and the Charlotte Roval. Rob, who are the four that are eliminated after this round? Yeah, Christopher Bell, Kurt Busch, Denny Hamlin, and Brad Keselowski. Um, Got to say, I just don't see any of those guys making it past the round of 12. They've had decent seasons, but unless they get a win, I don't see it ha- Excuse me, happening. Hamlin still doesn't have a win. Keselowski's been in a slump. Kurt Busch is good, but Ganassi's not. Um, and Christopher Bell is, like you said, just the fourth Gibbs car still not, I mean, Bell is, is a step up from Eric Jones. I'll, I'll say that, but yeah. I think next year is going to be Christopher Bell's year. This year is kind of like an off year. Again, I think, I think Bell is going to be one of those drivers that's going to adapt to the newer car a little bit better, just because I think it might suit his driving style a little bit more. Um, so, but, so this is, that's not a, a, a down, that's not a knock at Bell. It's just, you know, right, you know, I think he'll get further in the playoffs maybe next year if he makes it. But right now, I just, I'm not sure he's going to get past around the 12. Uh, I'm Harvick, Bowman, Logano, and Kurt Busch are mine. Uh, again, Harvick, I think he squeaks into the round of 12, but we'll advance there. Bowman has been kind of cold um, ever really since his Pocono win, actually. I just, just kind of a lot. He's lost a little bit there. Logano. And Kurt Busch, yeah, Kurt Busch, yeah, he's there. He's been semi-consistent, but not consistent enough to get to the round of eight. I think he's got enough to get into the round of 12, not the round of eight. Logano, yeah, I don't I don't think he... He runs well at Vegas. That's the thing. And, and obviously, Talladega is pretty unpredictable there, but I just think Logano, you know, if you're just going strictly on points and what you think is going to happen, Logano is going to be out of this one as well. So round of eight here. Um... Texas, Kansas, and Martinsville. Who do you have exiting, Rob? Well, since I have Logano advancing past the round of 12, I don't think he's going to get into the championship four this year. I think he's had a good season, but I don't think it's been championship-worthy season so far. Um, the same goes to Bowman. I think Bowman's had a really good season. I think he's got, what, the second or third most wins? Uh, he's tied for anyone. The- Third, second most wins. Yeah, he's so three, I mean, he's, he's had wins. a good season. He should he should hang his head. He could should have he, he should have his head held high at the end of the season. But I just don't see him getting past uh, the round of eight here. Um, and then Ryan Blaney. I know he's been on a bit of a hot streak, but Blaney's not known to win multiple races, and this is the first time he's won multiple races. I don't know if he's going to be able to carry that over into the playoffs. That's really my whole thing. Is I I know he's got momentum, but. I just have a hard time seeing him make it that deep in the playoffs. I think he's going to go deep. Like I said, round of eight's not bad, but I don't see him getting into the championship four. And then Martin Truex is that other guy where, you know, good season, probably ache out a win here in the first two rounds. But I think by the round of eight, I think his time's just going to be up and he's just not going to be able to get any further. So that's who I've got uh, getting eliminated after uh, Martinsville. Of Kyle Busch going out this round, William Byron going out this round, Brad Keselowski and Martin Truex. Um, yeah, this one was kind of the tough round, actually, for me. Um, well, the last two, because you got really think about this. Martin Truex Jr., other than his two wins, he's been had a forgettable season. Keselowski, I, I have confidence in, in Keselowski at, at, at two of the r- races in the round of 12 to move on. 
Byron, he's just been uber consistent. I think he's just going to miss out in the championship four. And then Kyle Busch, he's had a different year this year than he had last year. So I think it's, to me, um, he'll go this deep, but it won't won't advance um, to the championship four, which is at Phoenix. Rob, tell us your four and who your champion's going to be. So, uh, obviously, Kyle Larson. Um, I put Chase Elliott in there. I didn't want to, but I felt like he's just been really, really consistent this year. So I have a hard time seeing him not make it uh, as far as the championship four, unless he has some kind of, unless he has a terrible stretch of three races. He's just been too consistent to not be in that championship four. And then William Byron, you said, but you said it best. I was going to say it was William Byron has really been super consistent. I think he could get a win at some point or maybe win some stages and help his help his case and that's probably because of that consistency that he's shown I think that could help him project him into the championship four and then I'm just throwing Kyle Busch in there because I I really think you can never count out Kyle Busch um you know he might not be having a stellar season this year but I think he could have probably said that about uh, 2019 as well and he still ended up winning that one so, um, you know, I think as long as Kyle Busch is consistent and he doesn't have any bad days, I think that's all he needs. Um, and then, obviously, my champion is going to be Kyle Larson, though, because I don't see any reason why it's not going to be Kyle Larson. The dude has literally been and, – and let me just say, I want to say this. I just want to say this. If it's not Kyle Larson, if it's not Kyle Larson, then this – it just solidifies how I think that this this playoff format is is still broken. Um, because let's be honest, Kyle Larson has been above and beyond the best driver, the best, most consistent driver all season for him. He, he literally creeped up and took over the regular season points lead from Denny Hamlin within the last three races. And I, I just, dude, a dude that consistent. Now I'm not saying Hamlin wasn't consistent either, but Larson had those added benefits of having won races. Hamlin has won races. Larson can. So it's really hard to see Larson not getting a win at say Texas, Kansas, and just moving on. I don't think it won Martinsville, but I think Texas and Kansas, he could be very big, uh, uh, very, very big, uh, contenders he could also be a contender at the roval too i think larson could win a race every single uh every single round if yeah. we're being honest with ourselves right now right. i mean he could win at darlington for all i care he could win at bristol he could win at the roval he could win at vegas he could win at texas he could win at kansas he could win phoenix at this point i like larson's odds better than i like anybody else's odds well yeah i i larson's in my championship four as well elliot's in my championship four as well both those guys i see them I see two tracks in each round where they could win um, for both of them. Um, I have Blaney. Again, I like Blaney to go deep, and I like him the way he's ran at the round of eight tracks, so that's kind of why I have him there. And then Hamlin, look, his bad luck's got to end sometime, and he'll get back to this early season consistency, and he will either win or point his way into the into the championship four. And I have Larson winning as well because again I pointed out I think there's he can win at any of these races at least two races per round, and the way the nine car has ran at Phoenix and when it even was the twenty four car, Chase has ran well at Phoenix at both configurations he's raced at in the Cup Series, and I think you know the, the, there's definitely some sharing going on there. Uh, Larson it will 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 be a contender there, and I think he'll ultimately win the race and 
win the championship, plain and simple. I think we'll we'll see him get his finally his first cup championship. Uh, so that's our playoff uh, predictions. Uh, let us know if you think we're crazy. Uh, you think we're dumb. Uh, maybe you don't like Blaney being in there. Maybe you're like, hey, why do you have Byron in there? Uh, Rob, what, what what are you thinking? I don't know. But you guys are like, you're spot on with the Larkin. consistent Byron is. I don't care what everybody says. I know. I can't I can't disagree with you on that one. I mean, he's been good. I just didn't pick him. All right, so let's move on here. Upshift, downshift. Um, up, uh, in case you're uh, new or you just want a refresher and you're like, this is my favorite part of the show. You guys always remind us how upshift, downshift works. That's my favorite part of the show right there. That's where I jump to. So upshift, downshift. Upshift, you agree. Downshift means you disagree. We can throw it into neutral unless it's a question like last week. We, we said you can't throw it into neutral. Spoiler alert. We don't have one of those this week. Um, neutral, hey, we don't have enough information. Um, you know, we just don't care. We've had a couple of those before. Like, ah, neutral, I don't, don't bother. This is in, indifferent to me. Uh, hopefully we don't have any of those this week. But the first question here is, if Cup Series teams would have been able to qualify, it would have altered the final results of the Coke Zero Sugar 400 drastically. Do you upshift or downshift? I think the only thing that would have altered the results was if Larson didn't get it moved to the rear of the field. I think that was the only thing that would have changed it because I think Larson would have been up front most of the race and he would have been running up front with his Hendrick teammates um, rather than pretty much hanging around at the back all all day, which is what he was doing. And then, you know, towards the end of the race, he kind of came up and he was like, hey, I'm here. I'm here. I'm ready to win. You know, I'm I'm here to win again, <laughs> which I thought he was going to do after for a while there. But, um, you know, no, I don't really think it would have changed much. Uh, you know, Daytona, Talladega, they're always crapshoots. It doesn't matter where you qualify. It doesn't really matter at all. I mean, yeah, the cream's going to rise to the top, but at the end of the day with this package, it it, it wouldn't have mattered, I don't think. So I'm going to downshift. I've been neutral on this one, to be honest. It, just because I, I, it's just unpredictable. I can't, I can't say upshift. I can't say downshift because I could say upshift and say, well, if Larson was up there, he could have made a move and crashed and taken out half the field. Or whoever, it doesn't, it doesn't matter who the driver was. You had a qualifying effort where all of a sudden you have the 400 cars lined up and the three or the four Penske cars lined up, including the Benedetto on that one. Um, maybe they all are swapping for positions and they crash, you know, just because they all had speed. You never know. I, I kind of throw in a neutral. I can't say yes or no on that one because it's just too unpredictable. Um, Max Verstappen, uh, question two. Max Verstappen said post-race that the race should have started as scheduled at you know approximately 3.30 p.m. Belgian time. Do you upshift or downshift? You know, I think that's great to say hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, I mean, if you want to move the race up for the sake of weather, that's one thing. But if you've already set the time for when the race is supposed to start, I mean, it's it F1 times are very specific. They're, you know, they, they start at a very specific time. Cars roll off the grid as soon as it, it hits the top of the hour usually. So I don't, I think it's nice for Verstappen to say, but ultimately hindsight's twenty twenty, and I don't think it would have mattered when you started the race. I think if they start, even if they started the race earlier, it wouldn't have mattered because by the end of the race, the conditions would have just been awful and they would have had to end up red flagging the race anyway. It, it wouldn't have mattered. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to downshift that. It wouldn't have mattered at all. I, I understand where Verstappen's coming from. I'm sure, like I said, hindsight's twenty twenty. but at the end of the day, it wouldn't have mattered. It, it, the race, the rain was just too hard no matter when they would have ran. I mean, unless they ran the race when the F3 race was going on, yeah. I, I don't think it would have, it, it, it would have still been rained out. I downshift as well. I mean, he had a completely different perspective 
being the, the first car in line and, and being able to swerve to the to the right or the left of the of the pace car and that was just not going to that was not going to be a universal take on what the field is experiencing all 20 cars it just it just wasn't so yeah it might have been raining lighter uh when they finally went on track approximately 3 30 they were supposed to start at three o'clock local time but it wasn't it, it wasn't going to ever work it just it, no it just wasn't um i i like his optimism but i i gotta downshift it um Rob, I, I think we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, but Daytona has earned the right to host the regular season finale race for the NASCAR Cup Series. Do you have to downshift? It absolutely has not. It has done nothing but cause more controversy, more chaos, and more nonsense. And should go back to July 4th, and what NASCAR should do is they should go and reevaluate and come up with a track that fairly rewards drivers during uh, for that final spot i preferred it when it was at indianapolis honestly i really actually liked that i thought that was kind of cool i thought that was actually a better way to end i thought that was a good way to build the brickyard back up to something give the race a little bit more meaning again but they ended up deciding that that wasn't what they wanted to do which is lame and they thought that this idea of creating mass chaos towards the end of the regular season was the better way to go i I, I don't know how you can sit here and objectively tell me that Daytona should be the regular season finale. It, it's too much of a crapshoot. It's too chaotic. And it's just quite honestly getting to the point where it's getting dangerous. I don't want it to be. It shouldn't be. And NASCAR needs to honestly reevaluate this and maybe move it to Homestead or something else. Cause this is, if they want to keep it in Daytona, if, if they want to keep it in Florida for whatever reason, that's fine. Just put it in Homestead right now, you know, move it to Homestead, but I'm not okay with Daytona being the regular season finale. And I don't think it's earned that right yet. I think just because it it put on two relatively good races, it doesn't mean anything. I mean, those same races would have happened in July, and it would have been more satisfying to literally everybody watching to have watched them in July. That's just my opinion. Um, I know a lot of people are going to disagree with that, but that's how I feel about it. I'm downshifting. I don't think that Daytona should be the regular season finale. I'm... Yeah. On the on, on the contingency that the package is changed, the cars are more spread out, bumping isn't as um, prevalent throughout the race where a run isn't is is necessary a run is to be created is necessary to have a huge bump. Or instead of a light little tap tap, I like the I like the idea of Daytona being the season finale. I know I, so I kind of upshift this, but it's definitely kind of a, a, a very gentle one because I do I do share the same concerns as you, Rob. As I as we talked about earlier, I just the package is not right. It's too it's too chaotic. It's not controlled chaos like it used to be. Um, but I like it as there. It's it's to me. It's NASCAR in the 21st century. Um, it just, I like it at Indianapolis too. I did like it there. I think it'd be very interesting to end the regular season on a road course if they wanted to keep it at the Indy road course. I think that'd be interesting, but I like it at the Indy Oval uh, Oval too because even then, the best cars and the best teams, the best drivers are going to shine at Indianapolis. It's just the way it is. You know, it's the way it always has been. Okay, With a few exceptions, it's been champions who have won that race. So, on the oval, 
I mean, AJ Allmendinger is a really good driver around uh, the road course is no shock. But on the oval, champions rise to the top on there, and the best teams rise to the top. So that would be a, a good way if they could ever get that package back uh, uh, corrected. So I like it at Daytona. Uh, uh, you know, just just hoping for safer races, better packages, and aero packages where cars are more spread out, and the and the best drivers and teams cars rise to the or go to the front, and you have to work harder to pass them. Um. All right, so the uh, final question here. Uh, the FIA must review the antiquated rule that a Formula One race is official after two completed laps. Do you upshift or downshift? I don't think so. I kind of downshift that. I don't think they need to review it because I think when you're looking at situations like that and understanding the logistical possibilities, like, yeah, you mentioned, oh, you, there's so many things you could get rid of in order to make it more logistical, logistically friendly. But at the same time, I don't think they're going to do that anytime soon unless, like, Liberty literally came in and made sweeping changes way worse than, way more than what anyone would think. But I don't know how the teams would react to that. I don't know how the drivers and the sponsors and everything would react to that. So, you know, I think right now F1's kind of screwed themselves by placing themselves in this box. And really all they can do right now is end a race like that. And to be honest with you, as much as it, it, it sucks and as much as it's crummy to see, I I would much rather see them do what they did on Sunday rather than have attempt to run a race like that and and potentially hurt or injure somebody. Um or you know, yeah, I would like maybe postponing it a day would have been better, but like I said, if you're not going to change the logistics of Formula 1, then that's not logistically possible, so then there's not much you could do. You just kind of have to do what you can. Give the fans something even if it's running behind the safety car. I I that's how I feel. Can you answer this question for me, Rob? Um, if the race was, because I just thought about this point, if the race was abandoned, does money have to go back to the promoter? Yes, because it's not a, an official Grand Prix at that point. They've abandoned the race. It's canceled the race. So then it's basically not, it's not considered an FIA Formula One World Championship race. So yeah, you would, I would assume, I would think that they would actually have to refund money then. Well, then that needs to be reviewed as well because I, as much as I think George Russell earned his second place by his qualifying effort, I don't like that this can somewhat come down to, could this be a championship decider because they just ran around the track for two laps? I don't like that. So... I kind of want to upshift this because I, I think it is, in a way, very out of base, out of touch rule. Um, so if if money would have to go back to the promoter, I, I know someone's going to lose money to this, but what are the chances that, you know— this happens ten times a year. I don't think that's very high. I don't. I don't think that's very likely. And we saw how much money F one made and the FIA made last year, even in a pandemic. Uh, so, to me, um, I would. I would like to. I would like to see this rule at least reviewed. And because again, I, they make too much money anyways. So, yeah. Um, let's go ahead and uh, that was that was upshift downshift here. Um, let's go ahead and, and, and jump in here to, uh, the little history segment here. Uh, my featured segment, the Rollers featured racetrack this week. Um, so today, 
I'm doing part two of the Milwaukee Mile. I said I was going to do this during this weekend. Um, I did the first part on the second episode this year on February 15th. Uh, I didn't get to share everything I want to share at that point because the Milwaukee Mile, there's a lot to talk about. And honestly, I didn't, I don't have time to share everything I wanted to share today um, or include today. So just kind of jumping into there. Uh, American Open Wheel Racing uh, fi- uh, had their first official sanctioned race uh, in uh, in the IndyCar books, anyways, on August 27th, 1939, here at the Milwaukee Mile. That race was won by Babe Strap. Uh, at this point, the race was uh, the racetrack was a dirt oval, not paved. On June 5th, 1954, Chuck Stevenson won the first race on the paved oval, and he actually won the last race on the dirt oval one year prior on August 30th, 1953. A total of 73 races at the Milwaukee Mile were held under AAA or USAC sanctioning between 1939 in 1980 for many of those seasons two races were held but in 1947 48 and 65 three races were held uh the first race under cart sanctioning was actually the last race under usac sanctioning because the 1980 season including the indianapolis 500 was to be co-sanctioned by both usac and cart under the uh, banner of championship racing league but after only five races uh in that year usac withdrew from the agreement so this double-sanctioned event at the Milwaukee Mile was won by Bobby Unser and took place on June 8, 1980. Johnny Rutherford was second with Jordan, uh, excuse me, Gordon Johncock in third. Uh, the race was 150 laps long, including five cautions for 16 laps, five lead changes. Two notable drivers who either failed to qualify or withdrew were Tim Richmond and Janet Guthrie. Uh, while under cart sanctioning, Milwaukee hosted uh, officially... 30 races, including the the dual-sanctioned race, taking place between 1980 and 2006. Two races were held in 80, 81, and 82, but beginning in 83, dropped to a single race per year. Uh, Johnny Rutherford won the first car-only event on August 10th, 1980. Rick Mears finished second with Bobby Unser in third. Uh, Tom Sneva won four times at the Milwaukee Mile during this period, including three straight races from 1982 to 1984. He previously won the first race in 1981, but Gordon Johncock dominated the second race that season uh, at the Milwaukee Mile. Sneva finished fourth. Mario Andretti won in 85 before son Michael won in 86 and 87. Then Michael would go on to win three more times in 91, 92, and 96 and is the winningest driver during this period uh, of the Milwaukee Mile with an American Open Wheel. Paul Tracy won four times in 95, 99, 02, and 05. Sebastian Bourdais won the final kart race in 06. Uh, as the series did not return in its final season in 2007. The NDT IndyCar Series began racing at the Milwaukee Mile in 2004, with Dario Franchini being the first winner. Uh, IndyCar raced at the Milwaukee Mile from 2004 to 2015, with the exception of the 2010 season. Um, and what I label as a sick twist of fate, Sebastian Bourdais won the race in 2015. So he holds the distinction of winning both the final car and IndyCar races, or IndyCar race to date, at the Milwaukee Mile, so I don't like that. I don't. I don't like that. That's happened. Uh, I really hope the Milwaukee Mile can return though uh, to IndyCar. That'd be really great. Uh, Indy Lights competed 27 times. Uh, some of the winners are Paul Tracy, Adrian Fernandez, Brian Herta, Greg Moore, Scott Dixon, Townsend Bell, Tristian Vautier, Sage Karam, and Zach Veach. Casey Mears' cousin and son of Rick Mears, Clint Mears, 
scored his first career Indy Lights victory in 1997 at, at Milwaukee. He later won at Auto Club Speedway that very same season, which was his final win. I didn't know that. Learned that. It was great to know. Uh, the NASCAR Xfinity Series first race at Milwaukee Mile in 1984, and again in 85 before leaving and then returning in 1993 after some improvements to the facility, uh, where it stayed on the calendar until 2009. From '93 to 20, uh, excuse me. From '93 to 2001, it served as the Fourth of July race for the Xfinity Series because beginning in 2002, that's when the Xfinity Series went to Daytona twice. Um, so beginning in 2002, it moved to the typically uh, standalone race during the NASCAR Cup Series weekend at Sonoma. That's where it typically fell was to be the event during that uh, weekend. Sam Ard was victorious uh, in the first race, and then Jack Inger won the second race too. I mean, legends of the series winning the first few races, no surprise there. Uh, when the series returned in 93, it was one of Steve Grissom's two wins en route to his 1993 championship. Uh, the other was at Hickory earlier in the season. In 1996, it was the side of Buck jo- uh, Buckshot Jones's first career victory. And in 1999, it was the same was true for Casey Atwood. Both would uh, only finish with two career victories apiece. Thought that was a kind of a good little tidbit as well. On the opposite end, Jason Keller's 2003 win was his 10th and final career Xfinity Series win. Now, in 2006, Paul Menard scored his first career victory at Milwaukee, his home track, uh, in a win that was nearly taken away. He led 85, a total of 85 laps of the 258-lap race originally scheduled for 250. He qualified third, but took the lead on the first lap and led the first 30. Uh, then he led on lap 64, and he regained control on lap 205, and was basically about a lap away from winning, and a big crash took place on lap 249. Uh, Paul Menard survived the overtime restart, holding off Denny Hamlin for the win. It was his only win that season. Menard finished sixth in the standings and was the highest among regular, uh, Xfinity Series regulars that year. Uh, the cool part, I think, about his Xfinity Series career is that all three of his wins took place in the Midwest where Menard's is heavily uh, implanted. The other... Uh, two were at Michigan and another Wisconsin track, Road America. Uh, in 2007, Eric Almirola was forced to start the race uh, in the number 20 Rockwell Automation Chevrolet because Denny Hamlin didn't arrive in time. So when Denny Hamlin won, Eric Almirola was credited with his first career victory, a victory that he really didn't like and claim. And when he won for in the 98 car a few years later in the Xfinity race at Daytona in July, that's what he kind of considers his first career victory because he actually won that race. Uh, then Carl Edwards won the final two Milwaukee races in 2008 and 2009. Uh, the Camping World Truck Series raced 15 times in Milwaukee. Uh, three current or future Hall of Famers, Mike Skinner, Jack Sprague, and Ron Hornaday won the first three. Uh, those guys were the dominant guys back then uh, in the early truck years. Uh, those were great races. Ted Musgrave won in 2001 and became the first repeat winner in 2004. And then in 2006, Johnny Benson won his first of three straight races at Milwaukee, which were 06, 07, and 08. And then Ron Hornaday won the final race in 2009. And then I'll wrap up uh, this discussion with Arkham Menard. She returned to the Milwaukee Mile, as we mentioned, for the first time since 2007. This weekend, Ty Giz put his name alongside Dean Roper, Dave Waltmeyer, Phil Bozell, and Frank Kimmel as the five winners through six races at the legendary Milwaukee Mile. Uh, there's been other divisions and other sanctioning bodies who have raced Milwaukee, but that's all the time all the time I have today. I'll end with this saying, I really hope that Milwaukee can make a return in, in IndyCar. I, that would be awesome. I know they, I, I know they, I think they can survive 
Road America and Milwaukee. Put them on different ends of the of the calendar. Um, and I really, really hope NASCAR can get back there. I love to see the Truck Series. I kind of teased it earlier. I really hope the Truck Series can can get back there. Put it on the same weekend as the Road America weekend. Have them race on Friday night or or Saturday night, whichever one works best. Um, while while the Cup Series and the Xfinity Series race there, I, I really want them to come back. I really would love to see the Xfinity Series go back, but I don't know how large of an opportunity that is. Um, but man, I I just hope to see them go back to at least ARCA next year, and and ARCA can get their crap together. You know, was, we need to merge the three and get more money for people. It's it's getting bad. It's getting so bad. And Ty Gibbs or Corey Hunter just dominating the year, man. It's it's not the same series that Frank Kimmel dominated twenty years ago. It's just not. You need you need more. You just need more people. I'm sorry. That's it for the uh, Rollers featured racetrack. Very brief today. But I t- promise I I reviewed this stuff for you uh, a few months ago. So, Rob, anything else before I kind of go? What's in the windshield here? No, I think we're ready. All right. Well, Formula One uh, makes its long-awaited and delayed return to Zandvoort for the Dutch Grand Prix this Sunday. I'm excited. I'll at least if it goes off on schedule, I'll at least be able to watch it because my schedule will permit it. Watch it live, anyways. Cool. Uh, I want to watch it either way. Uh, IndyCar's off one more weekend, but returns on September 12th for what will be a three-week stretch to the finish on the West Coast. They return up Portland. And then NASCAR takes a show to Darlington for the Southern 500 weekend. There will be a few throwback paint schemes. Uh, one notably, Matt Benedetto's Elliott Sadler 2001, which is just a beautiful-looking car. One of the ones that translate really well to a modern one. Ah oh, man, I love that car. Love it. That was one of my one of my first diecasts. Just just love it. Um, the Xfinity Series races on Saturday, but it, on Sunday it's a doubleheader between Truck and the Cup Series. So if you're heading to Darlington uh, and you're going to watch a race on Sunday, get there early to watch a truck race because that will be a good race. I know it will be. Truck's put on a couple good races there since they returned last year and then ran the spring this year. Of course, they're supposed to be in most sport this weekend. I'm still sad that um, they're not. Oh, well. All right. Well, conclusion here. Um, thanks for listening. Let us know how what, what you think. Play along with our feature paint scheme. What was your favorite from 18? Did you like either of ours? you think we just chose crappy ones? Uh, let us know what you think Milwaukee Miles should do. Should they be back? Should NASCAR bring them back? Should IndyCar bring them back? Let us know what the upshift downshift too. Are we crazy for thinking the way we, we shifted? Because um, I know we, we've had some controversial takes on that one and just the debate in general today was great i loved it you know i, I call it debate because it is debate but it's really good discourse and, I, and that's why I, I love doing this podcast with, with you rob and um you know it's just good to good to talk things out it's fun it's fun so um socials real quick here follow rob on twitter at rpeters33 that's r-p-e-e-t-r-s-33 i'm at roller underscore zero one r-o-l-l-e-r underscore zero one the show is at robin roller on twitter instagram facebook and search racing with robin roller on youtube you can also find us there um so thanks for listening again we just over two hours here today we did a pretty good job there uh for rob peters i'm josh roller and this was the racing with robin roller podcast have a great week everybody